BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Hey guys, Jeremy Donovan here with the young boy Josh Smith. And before we get started with this week's episode of Keeping It Strong Style, we just wanted to uh, briefly acknowledge the news around Chris Dickinson and the allegations made against him. Um, so last week on April 27th, there was domestic abuse allegations uh, brought up against uh, Chris Dickinson uh, by a former uh, girlfriend, independent wrestler, Christina Von Airy. She came out with her story in a lengthy uh, Facebook post, which was then shared to Twitter, Instagram, and other uh, wrestling news sites have picked up the story and shared her full post. So if you haven't seen her full post, it is out there for you to kind of see her story and what she shared. Um, she described a specific incident that led to a physical attack. She says she has a photo of that incident and will be providing it. Um, since then, a second woman has came forward on May 1st with her uh, stories about being in a relationship with Chris Dickinson and the uh, physical and mental abuse that she experienced as well. Uh, on April 28th, uh, Chris Dickinson did tweet, I saw what was said about me by a former partner. I need to make it very clear. I have never physically abused her or any other partner. These accusations are false, they are hurtful, and they go against everything I believe in. Following up with that, he then decided to pull himself off of Saturday's GCW event in Atlantic City. He did not want to serve as a distraction for the event or his peers. He says the accusations made about him by a former partner are false and contain multiple defamatory allegations that will be addressed in due time. He says he does not wish to engage in public discourse on this matter. Instead, he will pursue all legal options afforded to him in an effort to clear his name. And we did have a question here from Murder User Grundy Dodd saying that he was disheartened to hear accusations were brought up against Chris Dickinson this week. How do you think this will affect him in New Japan going forward? Uh, so, young boy, your quick thoughts on, on the whole story and Grundy Dodd's question here. Yeah, um, this is uh, an unfortunate story, uh, unfortunate on a lot of accounts, uh, unfortunate, um, you know, in, in, in the event that these allegations are correct, um, you know, that's terrible. It's not something you ever want to hear. It's, de it's definitely not something that we here on the show condone. Um, and, you know, vice versa, if uh, there's any sort of falsehood, you know, that's also not good obviously um chris is someone that you know we've been very vocally uh fans of i i would say even 
maybe even more so myself um, on the show. We've even gone as far as to have him um, on the show in the past. And, uh, you know, I kind of feel like that's part of the reason why we sort of have to address the allegations. At least at this point, that is all it is. And I'm not saying that to uh, skim it under the rug in any way, because, I mean, when you have an allegation like this come out, that's a serious thing. But when you have several allegations come out from several you know, former partners that's, uh, you know, adding more smoke to a potential fire. So that's not a, you know, necessarily a good sign. <laughs> right. Um, I can't speak to it and say that I know one way or the other, what has occurred here. And I've been, um, I've said in the past that, you know, I do believe that you need to, uh, you know, until someone is like founded to have done something, you know, to know a hundred percent, but at the same time, I think that, uh, especially if this is true, I mean, that's an incredibly brave thing for them to have come forward and, and kind of shared their story and kind of made this sort of thing known. Um, but all, all together, I mean, it's a pretty nasty affair. Um, as far as the business side of things, um, you know, in the past, I would say, I would have said up until about a year ago that like it probably wouldn't affect anything having to do with Chris Dickinson and his, uh, uh, business dealings in Japan, because honestly, um, most Japanese companies don't really take into account too much what is occurring with uh, gaijin talent, which is very different from how they deal with domestic talent. I mean, if you look at some of the uh, infractions from um, talent in the past, like Tai Chi or Taka, uh, just to name a couple, um, even when it's just like, say, a cheating scandal or something like that it's taken very seriously and and you know it's derailed people's careers but we've seen many many times in the past where gaijin talent are able to kind of freely come and go between america and japan because you know the domestic audience isn't even necessarily aware so much about what's going on um and the company doesn't really care but i think with the past few years with the expansion into the west and the kind of uh, symbiotic relation, like the synergy between the two fan bases, both in the East and the West. Um, there's a kind of a, a gap that's been bridged where people are becoming more and more aware of the ongoings and the inner workings of the lives of the performers, both, you know, in Japan, as well as over here and in Europe. And that's kind of changed things. We saw that most recently with, uh, with Marty Skrull, was reportedly working the strong tapings and then um you know the talent got mad about that fans got mad about it and ultimately they pulled the footage of whatever angle it was they were going to run with him and he has not been invited back to the company since then and so hypothetically if this is a similar situation might turn out to be the exact same thing this could potentially lead to the derailment of Chris Dickinson working for New Japan, whether it's in the States or in Japan, uh, altogether. Uh, he did put out a statement saying that he was pursuing whatever legal ramifications he has, uh, which, like, if he didn't do anything and he's able to kind of clear his name, that's probably the best course of action. But then again, I kind of think back to, like, remember when, like, Joey Ryan saying, was saying, like, he was going to, like, sue, like, his... Uh, <laughs> His um for like defamation and, yeah. and libel and everything like that. He was going to sue his uh 
uh, accusers, which was like really kind of fucking gross. So when you think of it in that context, it's like if he did do these things, that's not a good look, my guy. So <laughs> I don't know. Those are my thoughts, I suppose. Yeah, just uh, overall, just really, um, just kind of like Tony Dodd says, really disheartening, really kind of, kind of discouraging, just horrible situation here. Like you mentioned, you know, we have interviewed Chris Dickinson in the past. We're big fans of his work and also very excited when the news came out that he signed a full-time contract with New Japan. And also it seems like he was potentially earmarked to be in G1 or be in Japan this summer. Um but yeah, I mean, I'm glad that these ladies came out and shared their stories. And again, just as like you, you know, if these stories come out and are true, obviously we don't condone uh, any uh, domestic violence or anything that was accused of Chris Dickinson here. And so, uh, you know, I just hope that the situation, you know, everything comes out and, uh, you know, Chris Dickinson will be dealt with accordingly if everything is, you know, proven true. And uh, these girls are, I mean, which we, I mean, again, we have, uh, no reason to really doubt them. They're coming out with these full uh, stories here. So, uh, sure. yeah, just really, really sad news. And like you mentioned, um, with the growth of New Japan of America, I think New Japan does kind of uh, feel more responsible of what they're doing with, um, you know, the American talent. And, you know, we've seen with Pro Wrestling Noah, like you were mentioning, uh, they brought back Michael Elgin with his, um, you know, several allegations and stuff that he's been going through and, Obviously, there's been, you know, obviously, Westerner fans have uh, disappointed that Michael Elgin was brought into Noah, but obviously, Noah really didn't care or show any concerns about that. And obviously, New Japan, I think it's a little different with that, like you mentioned, with the expansion with New Japan of America and like the Marty Skrull uh, situation that you referenced that we saw happen uh, during the early stages of the pandemic. Um, so, yeah, just a really unfortunate situation here. Just wanted to quickly address it to start the show. Didn't want to bury it in the news segment because this is a uh, very serious uh, situation and um, yeah it's just it, it just really really is heartening the following is brought to you by the social suplex podcast network this is speedball mike bailey you're listening to keeping it strong style yosh Yo, this is Rich Ladder from One Nation Radio. This is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. We present to you the Ace of Podcasts, keeping it strong style. Let's go. It's the Ace of Podcasts, keeping it strong style. Covering New Japan, they ready to hold it down. Jeremy Donovan and the young boy Josh. Come and hit a job out in Barrio the Frost. From Tokyo Dome over to the G1. Social Suplex is the network where we can get it done. I'm a chiller. And let them have it Cause this is just an intro Keeping the strong style Six stars from the get go Boy Yeah from Tampa Bay To the Tokyo Dome This is keeping it strong style With your host Jeremy Donovan And the young boy Joshua Smith And thank you for listening Welcome To keeping it strong style The ace of podcasts On the social suplex podcast network Jeremy Donovan here With the young boy Josh Smith on today's show, we'll review Wrestling Don Taku and cover all his news in the world of New Japan Pro Wrestling. You can support our show by subscribing and following the Social Suplex Podcast Network or keeping it strong style on the podcast app of your choice and leaving a rating interview. You can also get all the podcasts over at socialsuplex.com. Check out our Pro Wrestling Tees store, prowrestlingtees.com slash socialsuplex.com. 
That's where you can get your official Keeping It Strong style t-shirt. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider making a one-time or monthly donation by visiting socialsuplex.com slash donate and clicking on the donate button under the Keeping It Strong style logo. This week's episode is brought to you by the NJPW EXT, the only browser extension for NJPWworld.com. With features like dark mode, improved translations and layouts, custom and shared playlists, synchronized viewing parties, and much, much more. It takes NJPW World to the next level. You can visit NJPWEXT.us today for details. Young boy, how you doing, man? I am just doing too sweet. <laughs> Happy Bullet Club Day, bro. Yes. Four, 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 four. For life. <laughs> <laughs> Bullet, yeah, Club, Bullet Club running wild, man. Yeah, bro. I'm, I'm all about that Bullet Club life, you know? I see you're, you're rocking a Bullet Club shirt right now. Yeah, man. Actually, you know what's funny? Um, This is probably the wrestling shirt that has held up the most over, like, multiple wears, multiple, like, machine washes. I got this at an ROH show with you and Rich. When we, when you guys met Kenny Omega, like what year is that? 2017? Yeah, that was November, December of 2017. ROH tapings here in uh, Lakeland. Bro, I've had no other wrestling. Sh- this is like the first real, like, quote unquote wrestling shirt I bought for my, because I didn't really wear wrestling shirts before this. And almost everything I've ever bought from Pro Wrestling Tees, from like, uh, Tokon shop, all that shit. Um, even like the different gimmick, um, sort of like bootleggers. All those shirts like eventually like fade and like fall apart. This thing is still going hard, bro. Like it looks, it looks as clean as it did day one. I don't know what they did, but like this shirt is, it's uh, premium, you know. Well, that quality is for life, just like Bull yeah. Club. You know why? It's because we bought it from ROH and they refused to die, just like the Bull. <laughs> Yes, ROH is also for life. <laughs> you know who sold me this shirt was Frankie Kazarian and fucking Christopher Daniels. That's who was like running the like the uh, the merch table that I bought it from. Really? Yeah, I remember they were there, and I know they they had a table for their like comic book gimmick they were selling. They were like, yes, they were selling that, but they were like also like doubling. They were also like <laughs> selling the other merch that was. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the funny thing is, like, that show was at the RP Funding Center in Lakeland. That was the night where, uh, that was the same show where the lady was taking our tickets. And she was like, you're here for the wrestling show? And I was like, yeah, and it's real. She's like, I know. (laughs) (laughs) That was also the same show where there was a gun convention also happening at the RP Center. So you have all these guys coming in with black bullet club shirts and all the gun conventions. Oh, you're here for the gun convention? Like, nah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, man. that was really funny. Um, yeah. Uh, the also this past weekend, WWE ran a show at in Lakeland at the RP Funding Center, and it was called Saturday Night's Main Event, right? So when I was getting targeted for ads for Saturday Night's Main Event, and I was like, oh fuck, like WWE is like apparently running a pay per view in Lakeland. And they're reviving the Saturday night's main event name. I had no idea. And then, like, I didn't hear – I don't know. I don't watch WWE, so I don't really know what shows they're doing. And I was like, aren't they supposed to be doing Backlash? Why are they doing Saturday night's main event? Then I jumped on, like, Cage Match. I'm like, oh, they're running a tour 
called Saturday Night's Main Event, and it's just house shows. Like, they have bastardized the name of the once great Saturday Night, you know, Saturday Night's Main Event to the point where they're running the RP Funding Center in Lakeland. <laughs> Bro, honestly, I had no idea they were running um, in Lakeland or that shit was happening. I saw, like, afterwards that, you know, there was results from Saturday Night's Main Event, and I was like, what? <laughs> well, the funny thing, there was one show that, because I was trying to find out what, what happened, on that Lakeland show, because we had a few friends that went, and I was like, oh, I'd like to see what show they actually saw. And then I pulled up a show, and it, bro, this show, like, top to bottom, if it was, like, let's say if it was in 2015 that the show was happening, I would have been like, holy fuck, I have to be there. They had, like, Nakamura versus Sami Zayn, um, and then a bunch of other matches. That's the only one that really stuck to, like sticks out. But there was a bunch of really great-sounding matches, like, that I know sucked, but, like, on paper would have like ruled especially like a few years ago yeah um but then i found out that that wasn't even this saturday night's main event that was like one from like fairfax virginia or some shit like that <laughs> i'm like oh so they're just like running like a fun in fact they're running like three house show tours they're running an a and a b uh saturday night's main event and then some other like branded house show tours so they got like three house shows going on like around the country right now Pretty crazy considering, you know, their live events have not been doing great. And it seems like they have been initially trying to cut down on number of live events. Well, you know, it's Vince. He says he's going to change things and then they never do, you know? Yeah. <laughs> We're going to make you guys the authority. We're going to give you what you want. Yeah. <laughs> Remember what they wanted to give him was Kenny. In the and Bucks. The Bucks. <laughs> <laughs> they thought them had, they had those boys signed. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. But uh, we got a ton of stuff to cover. But one thing, real quick, I, I need to give a, a shout out to a uh, new listener. Uh, so my soon-to-be father-in-law has uh, oh, no. <laughs> has, has. Oh, bro, I'm so vulgar on this show. What <laughs> you, got, like, you got family listening to this? Uh, you know, he's he's trying to check out what I'm what I'm interested in, and you know, learning about New Japan. So he's checked out the the last uh, two or three episodes of Keeping a Strong Style. Listen to. All three hours and oh, so he listened to like Samsa's episode and one one what you were on too. So he heard like the episode with me, which was like terrible, and then he listened to like the very clean, precise, like insightful episode with Chris, and and now now this shit shows back like wow, <laughs> not good. Yeah, so uh, shout out to my uh, soon to be. Uh, Father-in-law, Dennis, thanks for... Sir, Sir Dennis, if you're listening, please just know that, like, Jeremy is a good Christian boy, okay? And I I am the ruckus. I am the the negative energy that is on the show. If, if there's any, you know, negativity, it's all me, okay? <laughs> all right. Uh, so moving on from that, let's uh, jump in. So April is over. We have May, and I forgot to actually talked to you about this before we started the show so uh yeah we haven't discussed match of the month or wrestler of the month at all and uh, to be honest this is not an open and shut discussion this is one that i feel like we would have had a lot of uh back and forth on so I, you can tell me your thoughts i don't know well should we throw the next week uh well there should be some less news next week or you want to not let's do it let's do it live let's do it here we'll do it live <laughs> all right well, what are you thinking all right, so what I'm thinking for April, Wrestler of the Month, I was thinking Tomohiro Ishii or Kazuchika Okada. 
Um, okay, based off what? So the reason I went with Ishii is that he had uh, two bangers. He had the match with Suzuki at Windy City Riot, which right. was an awesome match. And he had the match with uh, Chris Dickinson. Akashi. Uh at Lone Star Shootout. Oh, my bad. The Tanahashi match, that's in May, huh? Right. Okay, so then the Chris Dickinson match. Okay, go ahead. My bad. So those are the two, those are two above four-star matches um, that were awesome. And then I know typically excursion stuff doesn't really count, but he has done a lot of right. Im- impact and AEW stuff in this month as well. Um, right. Zuchiko Okada, I-, I threw him out there because he had a excellent title defense against Zack Sabre Jr. at Hyper Battle. Um, I mean that that was the big thing for him. Yeah. Um, and besides that, I really didn't see a ton of guys that I would that really stood out to uh, be the wrestler of the month. I mean, I did think potentially maybe Will Osprey because of the John Moxley match and uh, some of the undercard stuff that uh, happened in um, New Japan Cup Hyper Battle and that kind of build. Um, but I don't know. I felt like the, the two Ishii matches were really strong, as well as the uh, Kazuchika Okada defense against Zack Sabre Jr. Okay. Uh, is um, Just asking for clarification here. Is there anybody else that you could think of that might potentially qualify for Wrestler of the Month here? Uh, I mean, when I looked earlier today, I, I really there was nobody that really jumped out at me. Okay, so I'm kind of just looking. So, yeah, like you said, the three highest-rated matches I'm seeing are basically Suzuki, Ishii, Moxley, Osprey, Okada, Sabre. Um, you know, you can kind of throw a shout-out to, like, Shingo and Taichi, as well as, like, Jay White and Mike Bailey, um, which, you know, Jay White also kind of went on a run this month, you know. Uh, he beat Shota Umino, and he did some, uh, like you said, some excursion stuff as well. But, um, you know, just taking a look here, I'm going to have to agree with you. I think it's Tomohiro Ishii. It's not the strongest April of all time. But, I mean, yeah, I think based off the Dickinson and then the Suzuki match, uh, he's probably going to be our wrestler of the month right now. All right, well, let's, let's lock it in April. Unless, unless you want to award Suzuki for just putting in, like, a monstrous uh, WrestleMania weekend. And all the other indie shit he's doing, I don't know. That's true. I guess I don't know how much we really truly weigh the, you know, excursion appearances. Because, I mean, yeah, he was all over WrestleMania weekend. He did have the Samoa Joe match on Dynamite for the Ring of Honor TV title. Well, it's our show, so we can do whatever the fuck we want. Whatever the freak we want. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So, what do you want to do, Ishii or Suzuki? I think we should go Tomohiro Ishii. I'm I'm not going to reward... Suzuki for having the same match with 15 different people. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So April 2022 wrestler of the month, Stone Pitbull, Tomohiro Ishii. Um, then when it comes to the April match of the month, uh, I mean, the two ones that I really came down to were Kazuchika uh, Okada versus Zack Sabre Jr. for Hyper Battle for the IWGP World Heavyweight title. And John Moxley versus Will Ospreay from Winnie City Riot. I guess you could also throw out, we mentioned Ishii and Suzuki as an option as well. Yeah, so now, granted, on cage match, Suzuki versus Ishii is actually rated 
slightly higher than both of those matches. But I got to tell you, Jeremy, I'm in the minority on that. I uh, I know I wasn't here to give my review of Windy City Riot, but I've, I have now watched the whole show and uh, after coming back from one of my uh, vacations. And, um, yeah, I wasn't as high on it as – it was great, don't get me wrong, but I don't think it was as uh, – it uh, went, like peaked as high as Moxley Osprey and Okada versus Sabre. That being said, I am very torn between Okada and Sabre and Moxley Osprey. Um, for me, I think Moxley Osprey was like the wilder match. Mm-hmm. It's got a lot of very memorable spots, a lot of, uh, you know, double juice, a lot of high spots, a lot of crazy crowd brawling, everything like that, plus uh, really great atmosphere with the crowd. But as much as I like the finish and I'm praising it, the finish still throws off the match a little bit for me. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Whereas with Okada Sabre, to me, is like almost a perfectly wrestled match. It, it just might not tend to have those crazy combustible elements that Osprey Sabre had. And um, I think it, I think it's like splitting hairs between the two. I think I've probably got them both rated like four and a half. For me, I rated Okada and Sabre four and a half, and I went four and three quarters on Osprey and Moxley. Um, I don't know. I, that, that, it just barely edged out. Also, you had that hot Chicago crowd into the match, and it was a wild, bloody brawl. You mentioned several memorable spots um, and continuation of the Osprey storyline of New Japan uh, screwing him and. Yeah, I don't know. I, I like that match a little bit more than Okada Sabre, um, but I know it's kind of, you can go either way. I know several of the rating sites kind of have both matches very close to each other. Yeah, well, it's I'm, um, I'm looking at Grapple as well as Cage Match, and I think they both tend to have Moxley versus Osprey just slightly higher. You seem to like it a little bit better, so I'm not. I'm going to defer to you guys. I, I, I'm outvoted three to one. So <laughs> uh, let's go ahead and award Moxley Osprey the match of the month. All right, so we got our. And you guys can all be wrong. Wrestler <laughs> <laughs> of the month, match of the month, uh, all locked in. Now let's talk about this past weekend's wrestling Dontaku. We had. Several news items and angles and great matches to discuss from this show. Uh, but first, you know, uh, COVID-19 reared its ugly head again and did have some effects on this show. So Will Ospreay and Tatsumi Fujinami were both off of this weekend's WrestleDontaku due to both of them testing uh, positive for COVID-19. So Will Ospreay, he was supposed to face Hiroshi Tanahashi for the vacant IWGP US championship and was replaced by Tomohiro Ishii. And then Tatsumi Fujinami was supposed to be in the opener, the opener six-man teaming with Bushi and Shingo, uh, was instead replaced with Shiro Koshinaka. So well well, you know, um I'm glad. To be honest, not that they got COVID, but uh, I, I, this might be a, a strange take for some people, but I'm more of an Ishii man than I am an Osprey guy, to be honest. Mm. And, uh, you know, I, I got a little tired of seeing, uh, you know, old ass Fujinami. Let's let's bring out the hip thrust. <laughs> okay. Koshinaka. All right. 
No, but uh, in all seriousness, um, I think that, you know, you know, it is unfortunate um, that both of those individuals weren't able to compete here. I think uh, from a historic standpoint, we have seen a lot of Fujinami, but considering, you know, his role in the history of New Japan and it being the 50th anniversary, him wrestling in um, the Pepe Dome or the Fukuoka Dome would have been pretty cool. Plus the, uh, the dragon theme of that match was also part of the allure. I think uh, Shiro Koshinaka was a good replacement. And then um, they built up a really good story between Will Ospreay and uh, Hiroshi Tanahashi. And I think that that was a match that was very much uh, hyped. People were looking forward to it. And uh, we ended up with uh, Ishii and Tanahashi. Now, I will say this. We'll get to the review. I thought that they did an incredible job in a short period of time building the hype for the replacement with that press conference and all the heat that was between them there and the history that they kind of uh, were able to just sort of uh, conjure up in, in short order, which is something that we've praised New Japan for being able to do, being able, and we see it in G1s all the time, where, you know, wins and losses matter, history matters in this promotion, and they always have breadcrumbs. And so, you know, that story of Ishii upsetting Tanahashi just once, but never being able to overcome him ever again really played large heading into the the replacement match it was unfortunate that last week you guys went on the air and were unaware that all this would transpire and some you know it's just one of those realities we're having to deal with you know with covid still being out there i mean at any moment any time a wrestler could get it cancellations can happen and you know unfortunately our review last week was uh you know subject to that as well yeah, and uh, you know, shout out to Will Osprey though in trying to turn this into a storyline. Yeah. You know, he tweeted, you know, I think that maybe uh, New Japan might have tried to send somebody over here to, to give me COVID to get me off the show. So uh, Osprey obviously uh, taking a bad situation and trying to work it into the ongoing storyline of uh, New Japan um, working against him. Workers gonna work, you know. <laughs> yeah. So Wrestling Dantaku here, May 1st, it was in the Fukuoka Dome, the Pei Dome, with an announced attendance of 8,162. And aside from the two January 4th events, this was New Japan's largest attendance since February 9th, 2020, the new beginning in Osaka. And we did have a question here from... Uh, at the underscore bruise the bruiser says seriously what is the status of crowd cheers i saw an osprey tweet about it as if there was some sort of governing body that needs to make that call or something uh so young boy thoughts on uh the attendance and uh uh bruiser's question here about crowds yeah so um i don't really know exactly what the status is but um does seem like even if there isn't an, an official statement saying you can or can't do this, the audience is starting to become more and more comfortable with the prospect of making noise. Now they're still adhering to it, but like when there are big moments, big kickouts, big surprises, you're still you're hearing the audible gasps. Whereas like two years ago, when the audiences first came back, it was crickets. You know what I mean? Right. So that's part of it. The other thing, too, is from my understanding, 
there are no um, audience mandates as far as like making noise when it comes to other major events in uh, Japan. I don't want to speak out of turn, but uh, I believe, and I could be mistaken here, but I believe there have been uh, baseball games, which I know are out, well, not entirely outdoors, but somewhat outdoors and kickboxing and MMA fights where people have been allowed to just vocally and audibly cheer. So I don't, again, you know, I'm not the full, you know, the most insightful source for what's going on over Japan, but um, I, I've heard things about that. So I don't know. Yeah. I've also heard um, there's been less restrictions on sporting events. And I've, I think the last thing I heard, it was kind of up to each individual company or organization on whether or not they were going to allow fans to cheer. I know at one point there was a mandate where you can have fans cheer, but then you have to have less people in the building if that's going to happen. And if they don't, then right. you can have more. So I'm not sure if that's still in play. And I'll see New Japan wants to have as many people as they can in a building in an arena. So maybe that's still in play and they're going to opt and gain the most they can so they can do um, bigger audience, but just remain with the clap crowd. Um, so, Josh, what do you think about the atmosphere here? This eight thousand one sixty two number, largest event outside the Tokyo Dome since new beginning in Osaka, February 9th, twenty twenty. I think it falls somewhere between, um, you know, just for obvious reasons. Like, I wouldn't say a traditional Wrestle Kingdom, but like the the recent. Um, pandemic era tokyo dome shows and then maybe like it's definitely lesser than those but higher than say like the wrestle grand slam series where they were doing those you know that tokyo dome or those metlife dome shows where they were like pretty barren and pretty empty and and kind of soulless this was definitely more than that um you know i've always loved the fukuoka dome um from a historical standpoint where those early dantakus like 1993 1994 this wasn't quite that, but I mean, they did a lot right. Uh, they drew a good crowd. Uh, I think they had them placed in the right places. Obviously, the rest of the uh, the dome was empty, but you know, from the a camera work standpoint and a lighting standpoint, that didn't really affect things too much because they kept things dark. They had a great stage, lots of pyro, not as much pyro as you would expect from, like, say, a traditional like D- Dominion level show or you know tokyo dome like uh wrestle kingdom level show but not too far off to where it still felt like a big deal and um overall i thought it was pretty positive or at least the best we can hope for right now yeah i thought the atmosphere was great and honestly before they announced the number i thought there was more people in there because like you mentioned they had everybody placed all in the right place the the lighting was set up perfectly a bigger stage like it looked like it felt like a wrestle kingdom Type show with the lighting and the, the stage set up and how yeah. fans were laid out and also too like just the loudness of the clapping like you can tell there was just a, a large amount of people clapping so to me I was like man it sounded like it was really packed in there um, but still you know a pretty big thing here for New Japan being one of the largest shows outside of Wrestle Kingdom's uh, since uh, before the pandemic New Beginning in Osaka well you know how like um, every year WWE runs big shows and then they inflate the audience numbers. Is there any chance that New Japan is doing the reverse WWE here? And they're like, 
there was not 12,000 people there. We had 8,162 attendees. Yeah, we're, we're following the rules. We had the right percentage in the building. <laughs> I'm like, are you sure? That looked like, that like more eight 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 thousand people. I don't know, man. No, it wasn't eight thousand. It was eight thousand one hundred sixty-two, sir. That's why. Oh, okay. <laughs> that extra one sixty-two really put it over the edge. Put it over the top. <laughs> All right. Well, let's uh, talk about the show here. Tons of matches, news, angles here. So the show opened up. We had a six-man tag here. The Suzuki-Gun team of Taichi, Takamichi Noku, and Zack Sabre Jr. defeated the LIJ team of Bushi and Shingo, teaming up, as we mentioned, with Shiro Koshinaka, who was replacing Tatsumi Fujinami. Koshinaka, if you guys don't know, I'll see best known for his work in the top of the Super Juniors in New Japan in the 80s, tag wrestler in the 90s. Uh, we've, we've seen him a little bit here during the 50th anniversary uh, celebration. So a big star from the junior division here, and he's teaming up with Shingo and Bushi. Unfortunately, the, he, uh, his team ate the L here. He's also an official member of Los Ingenables de Japón now, right? Is he? I mean, I, I didn't see them give him a fist bump or anything or a T-shirt. That was my understanding is he is now officially a member of LIJ slotted above Bushi. Well, I guess we need to check the Wikipedia because I know they keep track of all the members of Bullet Club. I'm sure they're keeping track of all the, the LIJ members. Don't be surprised that this guy gets his own profile page on NJPW1932.com. <laughs> okay? Right there next to the Briscoe Brothers. Right there next to Volador. And Flip Gordon. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Uh, this was a, a fun opener tag. I thought Koshinaka looked really good uh, for his age. and was moving around uh, really well. Uh, but the focus of this match was Taichi and Shingo obviously falling up from the 30-count match they had at the conclusion of the Golden Fight Series. So Taichi uh, got the win on Shingo here using the Gato Clutch and got the three-count and made the ref count three again, proving that once again he could get a six-count on Shingo and uh, obviously challenging Shingo for the KOBW Trophy after the matchup. Now, I will say this. I've done um, a bit of a catch-up ever since I was, like, away traveling. And I'm not fully caught up on everything. So I did see Windy City Riot. I, I, obviously, I watched this show. Uh, I caught, like, our recommended matches and stuff like that. But I haven't gotten a chance yet to go back and rewatch the um, the Cork and Hall match between these two. I heard great things about it. Heard your guys' review. I'm going to go back and watch it. But um, when I saw this match, well, first off, I will say this, without having seen the match, and I saw the 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 result, I was like, what the fuck? They just put that title on Tai Chi. <laughs> yeah. And now they're having, you know, now they're giving it to Shingo. But, you know, after the result of this match, I'm like, oh, they're going to continue the feud between the two of them. That you know, that kind of makes sense. I don't know if I would have done it that way, but uh, okay. But my question to you, Jeremy, after having, I know you said that you liked that match, the, the initial one-on-one match, but then you wouldn't want to see that gimmick again. But they seem to be teasing some variation of that gimmick or a straight up, let's run it back, let's do a 30 count match. What are your predictions? What are your thoughts on that? Because I mean, were you surprised with this outcome? 
Um, a little bit because I mean, last week Chris and I thought maybe they might go Shingo Saber um, as an option for KLPW since obviously Saber's lost his world title shot and probably something new to do in in the in between, you know, Super Juniors and Dominion. So we were thinking it was probably more Saber. So a little bit surprised that they decided to go for this immediate rematch with Tai Chi. Um, I'm not sure what they're gonna go with here. It does seem like right now they are teasing to do another. Potential 30 count match um, If it was me I think I would lean more Doing a traditional maybe a 30 minute Ironman match um, Again a match where you get multiple falls And it's just your, your normal 3 count Fall and also you can still Have it where these guys are getting multiple Falls on each other throughout the matchup And you can tell a, a similar story of One guy being behind having to Come back from behind and it being a more You know traditional normal wrestling Match Awesome. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, you know, part of my concern was that they, well, a, a few things, you know, just the initial idea that we were like, oh man, with um, Tai Chi winning the KOPW, that might, you know, actually elevate the status of it, which is what, sort of what he promised and what we've been kind of hoping for for a little bit here. And then for them to kind of just, hot shot the title right over to Shingo. I was like, oh, fuck. Like, <laughs> who knows what the, the status and the future of, of the title is now. But um, with him kind of getting a clean win back over Shingo, I'm not saying he's going to beat Shingo on, a, on the return, but that's kind of seemed to be the trajectory of, like, Tai Chi's career. If you followed, like, his, you know, run in the Never Division and his run in the, you know, in the Tag Division, um, and even just, like, an individual feuds with guys like Naito and Tanahashi and Okada he seemed to like always suffer a high and then a a low and then a you know kind of come back and I think that this is sort of just following that same pattern and I you know I think that there's a little bit of a template there instance of his character and they're kind of just following that same MO now I'm not saying he's going to beat Shingo but I think a lot of people are expecting it and I, for one, am kind of interested to see what the next uh, proposed stipulation between the two of them is even going to be. Yeah, and I know uh, Shingo, his stipulation with uh, Takagi, three count, three falls match. So it definitely seems like they're going to do something with falls, whether they do a another crazy kind of stipulation, like a 30 count or the Takagi, three falls, or they go a more traditional route like an Ironman or, or two out of three. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what they do. Well, you know, they did tease initially i i don't know how to pronounce this but that gunjabaraya island death match initially when this whole entire feud kicked off there is the chance with it being the 50th anniversary and it being kopw that we might get shingo and tai chi and i haven't heard the same where else i'm just kind of dipping back into my memory bank what are the chances we get an island death match between shingo and tai chi uh, I mean, like you mentioned, it's KOPW. I mean, anything's possible. I mean, they they can throw it out there. I don't know if it'll, it'll end up being actually on an island like in the past, but maybe we will get some kind of death match um, at Dominion. You know, it's a, it's a big show. You want to do a, an attraction, a spectacle matchup. Uh, they they could do that, and you know, they had the one match, and it was more of a, even though it was thirty count, it was more of a normal wrestling match with the extra count. So. To really elevate this feud, you're kind of building and making the, you're raising the stakes now with a, a death match. Um, 
Yes. Now, I will say this. Uh, the two instances of that match in the past have been uh, Antonio Inoki versus Masa Saito. It's one of the longest matches in the history of humanity, and it's for sure the longest match in New Japan history, I believe. I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure it's the longest. And then the other one was Hiroshi Hase versus Taijajit Singh in like uh, the first one's in the 87, and then the re that one, the Hase and Singh match, I think it's from 91 or 92. That one's long as fuck, too. So, I mean, if we're following history, you're talking about a 45-minute to two-hour-long match. Is that something that we want in 2022? <laughs> or are they, they going to modernize it for... Uh- for us, you know, I'm sure they will mod- modernize it. Uh, it's going to be at Dominion. Uh, that shows are probably going to be a total of four hour runtime. So I, I don't see them spending two hours of that four hours on Chingo and Taichi. Or maybe they don't do that now. Maybe that's where it's leading to. Maybe we get the Dominion match and then an island match in the future. But like, I, I'm not saying it's going to happen, but there was a reason they brought that up initially. And this, you know, like we said with this company, breadcrumbs, you know? Yeah. So moving up for that matchup, second matchup, we had Hiromu Takahashi defeating Yo, 9 minutes and 59 seconds. Oh, boy. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, Jeremy, I think I'm ready to admit something. Um, and I, I don't think it's a secret. But maybe to me it was a secret. Like maybe it was apparent to everyone else all along, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think I'm ready to come out as anti-yo. <laughs> maybe I just haven't had the strength in my life yet to admit that I'm just not a yo fan. I'm not a Komatsu guy. Like y- um, Yo is a hoe? Yes, but that has always been a joke. Okay, here's the thing. I've always recognized that Yo is charismatic and also a talented wrestler, you know, very skilled. But go back into the archives. Go back. When did the show start? Late 2017? Yeah, November 2017. Go back to, like, the early days of the show, 2018. And, like, we were firmly in the camp that, like, show was going to be the breakout guy. I think that, like, the truth has always been in front of our eyes that I just don't really like Yo that much. And I've never been willing to admit it to myself. I think I was hedging my bets that maybe I would be wrong about him and maybe he would break out and maybe he'd be a big star because I did think that that's what was going to end up happening. But I'm ready to throw in the towel on Yo, man. Uh, I am. Uh, I know I went on that big rant during the end of last year during the Super Juniors. And I'm not going to do that here, but I'm just going to say. I don't really like Yo. Yeah, this match was just uh, just kind of there. And like I mentioned on the show last week, I kind of, you know, voiced my just frustration and just kind of my, me being over Yo as well. And like I mentioned last week, I mean, this guy comes out here, no fire, no charisma, no, like, nothing about him. And he's a very talented guy, very good wrestler. But then he, he comes out here with Hiromu, and I get it's only a second match on the show. They're not going to get a ton of time, but this match with two of the top juniors, I felt like should have been better. There should have been more energy to it. There should have been just, you know, some more gusto. And it was just kind of there. 
Yeah. And I think that that's kind of been the story of most Yo matches, to be honest. And in all fairness, several Hiromu Takahashi matches as well, since he's come back from the uh, pectoral injury. You know, a few of the matches that come to mind, like uh, last year, the big title match he had with uh, uh, Show, which was one that like we really expected to be great. There were several times in the Super Juniors where I felt that way. Um, so it's not all just yo, but I mean, second from the top, singles, junior match. I mean, I feel like I could wash, you know, copy, rinse, and repeat all the same comments I made about the show Yo series this past year, where it's like, yo, you guys are juniors being given a non-title feud on a major show. Do you understand the fucking opportunity that you have? This doesn't come along every day. You should do something with it. And here we are. And, like, I don't know. I feel like as much as most of the audience didn't want to see Hiromu and Yo run it back, I felt like they didn't want to run it back. They went out there and they put in a so-so effort. I'm not saying they need to go out there and have the banger to end all bangers and steal the show, although you might want to try and do something like that. But, like, they didn't even look like they were trying to go out there and have a good to great match. It was just average as fuck. Um, I would call this the disappointment of the night. Yeah, and also it does seem like they're trying to tell some kind of story here with Yo, and he needs to have a kind of big comeback in Best of Super Juniors. They did tease that if he lost this match, maybe he wouldn't be announced in the field, and, you know, they had this whole buildup on the Golden Fight series where, you know, Hiromu was kind of, you know, saying Yo has no more heart, whereas the guy who faced him in the finals, and then, Yo ended up pinning him in a main event tag, and it was kind of this back and forth thing. And it seemed like, all right, maybe Yo's going to get a big win here and kind of get some momentum going into Super Juniors. But Hiromu hits time bomb one, hits time bomb two, back to back, pins him clean as a sheet in the middle of the ring, one, two, three. Um, and now we're supposed to kind of like be invested in Yo and kind of buy this comeback story. But honestly, like, I don't want to see Yo win the A block. I don't want to see him win Super Juniors. I, I don't want to see this comeback story they're trying to tell here. Yeah, I'm not really invested in it either. And I mean, who knows? Maybe we're going to be on the wrong side of history one day. But I know what we're not wrong about is the quality of this match on this night. It was not good. And who knows? Maybe he breaks out during this year's Super Juniors. You know, maybe the last five years were a fluke. <laughs> and this is his year but uh yeah i don't have much more to say about it i agree with you wholeheartedly yeah I, I i'm just not invested in it whatsoever and you know, one last thing i will say um they're bringing in we're gonna get to it but they're bringing in a lot of stars a lot of star power from the outside right mm -hmm. and um i just feel like obviously they're probably not gonna push an impact or an AEW guy to win the tournament. That would be unprecedented. They've never done anything like that in a major singles round robin tournament in New Japan. But it would feel like such a waste if you have all these top stars and you utilize them to push EO. Yeah. Uh, I'm not down for that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that would... I think historically we'd look back and be like, man, they had guys from Glate, Ring, Ring of Honor, Impact, AW, all the, you know, LA Dojo, and they pushed Yo. 
Yeah, Gato, if, if you're trying to get your, your Booker of the Year award back, I suggest <laughs> if you have plans to push yo, you, you need to scrap them and go with somebody else. <laughs> Bro, there's there's so many other options. You got show, you got fucking ELP. I mean, I don't take your pick. I don't know. Yeah. Um, at the end of the match, Hiromu, he took his uh best of Super Junior trophy from last year, placed it in the middle of the ring. And obviously, this was a you know sign that the, the new tournament's getting ready to start, and he has. His and it meant he's never competing in the Super Juniors again. He's going heavyweight, right? That's how <laughs> I saw it. <laughs> no, <laughs> that's not what it meant. No. <laughs> yeah, fuck this company. Uh, so uh, moving on to the next match up here, another special singles match. We had Tangaloa with Jado defeating Yuro Takahashi, eleven minutes and thirty three seconds. Also, the continuation here of the, the G.O.D. Bullet Club, so that slash House of Torture feud that's been going on. Yeah, um, this match, from a quality standpoint, wasn't too far off from what we saw with Hiromu and Yo. But when you kind of um, give, I give them the edge for a few reasons. Number one, Tangaloa came out with new gear. He looked raw as yeah, fuck. dude. His gear was awesome. This man looked like Vichita out here. Yeah. And then Yujiro didn't stink up the joint, okay? He was competent. So there's that. And then number three, you know, uh, when you're, like, when you're playing golf or you're playing, like, pool, they talk about handicaps. You ever played a, a sport where there's handicaps? Yeah. Right. So they usually, like, if you're a less skilled player, they might give you a bigger handicap to kind of even the playing field. When you talk about Hiromu versus Yo. I give them way less of a handicap than I do like Tangaloa and Yujiro. And for them to wrestle at the same level as one another, this one blows it out of the park. Plus, they went a little bit longer, and it felt like they went shorter. So it's got to be better in my book. Yeah. Um, plus, I'm, plus, I'm more invested in the story just across the board. Even though like this, even though I didn't necessarily want to watch, who wanted to watch Yujiro and Tangaloa? That's not like lighting you know the world on fire. But at the end of the day, I felt like it, fit into the overall picture of what they're doing with Bullet Club and G.O.D. and Hontai. And I felt like the match was fine, so. Yeah, it was fine match. Um, only only 11 minutes, 33 seconds. And also, you know, continuing the storyline and, you know, getting Tangaloa, Tangaloa over as a baby face. And, you know, there was that interview a while back where this man said he he wished he could be a junior and he's out <laughs> here. He's doing 619s and insecurities and <laughs> all these, like, junior high spots now. Um, but, yeah. Well, hey. He came and he uh, he he did some work a couple of years ago at uh, Side Dojo. Just throwing it out there. <laughs> um, so yeah, you know, good back and forth here towards the end. Uh, show did come out after a ref bump and uh, tries to interfere and uh, hit Tangaloa uh, with the wrench, but he was able to avoid that. Um, and then also Yujiro eventually got a whole got the advantage with the distraction, hits the pimp juice, but Tangaloa was able to kick out. After that, and so after fighting out, fighting off House of Torture, um, Tango is able to reverse the the big juice uh, into his uh, ape shit driver and get the win here. Nice, um, yeah. And uh, Good at, match. Yeah, and after the match, uh, Tangaloa grabbed Yudro's uh, never six man belt. So it seems like we're gonna get maybe God and Tana or God and Jado uh, potentially challenging House of Torture for the never six man titles. Yeah, makes sense. That was one of the good things about the show. As you'll see as we kind of continue on, if you didn't see it, or even if you did, 
Um, this felt sort of like a seminal, I don't want to say reset, but just like a forwarding of everything in the very much like how um, Hyper Battle felt sort of similar, but this was even more so. Big returns, big surprises, lots of title challenges, a lot of title changes, you know. So almost after every match, there was something that was leading to either Super Juniors or Dominion to really forward everything that's kind of going on in New Japan right now. Yeah. So after this match, we had the first championship match of the evening. We had the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Tag Team titles on the lines. The champions, six or nine, Master Wato and Gucci, they defeated the challengers of Doki and Yoshinobu Kanemaru nine minutes and ten seconds. So I listened to last week's show, and uh, you were pretty uh, pretty adamant that this was Doki's time, man. Well, here's the thing. I, I was doing the unwise thing. Um, I, I was going with my heart. My my heart was saying it was time <laughs> for Doki. It was time for Pedro Del Mal to rise and get his first New Japan championship, his first IWGP gold. Um, so I, I was... Throw, I, I banded my head. You know, my head was saying, Wato and Gucci might are probably going to end up winning this thing, probably going to retain. You know, they're pushing these guys right now. There's Team 6 or 9 merch. Uh, but I, I went with my heart. I really wanted to see Doki come out here, get, get the big win. But uh, 6 or 9, they, they did it. They kept the belts. Yeah, I mean, this match was fine. There was nothing here that really uh, impressed me. I mean, I will tell you this. Uh, and it's no surprise for longtime listeners. Definitely Team Doki over Team Wato any day. But, uh, you know, it's the junior titles. Your your uh, prediction was just as plausible as any other prediction because, I mean, those titles hot shot like, you know, like almost more so than almost any other title, including the number six man. So uh, is it possible that this could have flipped here? Yeah, it was definitely possible, but. They seem to be going with Wato and Taguchi for the time being, which makes sense from a certain standpoint. I mean, Wato's a guy that they seem to be invested in. He's a dojo guy long-term. You know, they're not just going to cast him aside just because he hasn't made, uh, you know, the, the type of progress that maybe some of his other uh, classmates have made in the past. But, um, you know, they got him paired up with uh, Taguchi. Taguchi's a, you know, a guy that's popular and a guy that uh, – longtime veteran and is kind of probably helping round out his game and sort of helping to get him over. So, you know, uh, if this had been hypothetically, if this been like Desperado and Kenamaro, we might've been looking at new champions, but I think cause it's Doki, you know, that's probably why. Yeah. And we got obviously a lot of uh Taguchi shenanigans here in this match uh, came down when he made his entrance, he was holding his underwear in his hand which uh, led to the finish here when uh, Kanemaru tried to do the uh, Satori whiskey surprise, tried to spit the whiskey into Gucci's face, uh, but Gucci was able to uh, block that. When um, And then Kanemaru pulled Gucci's pants down, which revealed that he was wearing this very little eye patch looking thong thing. Um, and then he did a bare butt hip attack to Kanemaru, which allowed him to blind his own partner. Uh, then Taguchi pinned Katamaru, uh, you know, bare cheeks all up in Katamaru's face and gets a big win here. You know, that's something I'm not a big fan of. Uh, when a baby face gives their word and then goes back on it, it's not something I, I, you know, 
as an adult, I've gone back and I've watched uh, not recently, but in the you know in the past prior to the racist comments. You ever gone back and watched some Hulk Hogan, prime Hulk Hogan? That man was a fucking cheater, bro. <laughs> the back raking and <laughs> he was a baby face raking people's backs club you know scratching their eyes like you know breaking the he was a rule breaker he'd hit people in the head with the steel chair in the middle of a fucking match you know i'm like uh bobby heenan was right about this guy (laughs) i never i didn't see it because i was a little kid but um you know that's kind of what taguchi did taguchi came with similar energy i saw the backstage comments and he said he was gonna go completely commando for this match, and he was challenging Doki and Kanemaru if they were man enough to go completely commando, free balling it as well, if they're man enough. Well, apparently he wasn't man enough to actually go all the way. You know, this man didn't go full Monty. He he put on a fucking Rikishi gimmick. I don't I don't respect that shit. <laughs> well, I'm sure uh, the Bushi Road officials would would have not been happy if it was uh, you know, complete the complete bare bareness. Well, at the end of the day, you know, a man's word is only as good as his uh, word. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, he's gonna he's gonna have to answer for that one day. You know what I mean? Yeah. So uh, Taguchi and Wato retain here, and uh, potential challengers on the arise maybe as they are facing some juniors in Best Super Juniors. You know, I said that man's word way uh, joke that way. Why? Uh, like that time when Michael Scott came in, he's like, oh, how the turntables have. <laughs> <laughs> so sometimes I just do that shit on purpose to be funny. Uh, so moving on to our next title match here, we had the IWGP heavyweight tag team titles on the line in a three-way match, and we have new IWGP heavyweight tag team champions, the Bullet Club team of Bad Luck Fale and the Crown Jewel Chase Owens. They defeated the United Empire duo of Great Okan and Jeff Cobb and Bishimon, Hiroki Goto, and Yoshihashi. Nine minutes and 42 seconds. I gotta tell you, this was the first truly big shock for me on this uh, show. I think it probably was for many people. Um, not just because they flipped the titles over to Fale and... Um, Chase Owens, which is surprising, uh, given their track record, given their, uh, you know, World Tag League records and everything like that. But at the same time, you think about everything that's happened with them post-pandemic kind of does make some sense. Plus what they're trying to do with Bull Club as a whole. I think they're, benef- they're beneficiaries from just being like hangers on to, you know, a brand that they're trying to revitalize. So that makes sense. But what was really shocking was that they took the titles off of uh, the United Empire so quickly after they, they you know, won them. And um, I think that your boy, Chris Samsa, kind of fucked up Kevin Kelly a bit because, you know, and maybe, who knows? I don't know if Kevin listens to us. I know he listens to Jcast, but maybe we did too because we're always talking about the records. We're always talking about the win-loss record of – the United Empire and how heavily they're pushed kind of even low key, but like that, these guys just like are wrecking the entire division and their reign was coming long due. And I'm pretty sure that the 
kind of um, speak that we've had on this show for a long time. It's like once they get those titles, they're going on the long run. And uh, whether whether he's listened to us say it or whether he's like talked to Chris, but like you heard all throughout the match, Kevin Kelly is like, man, these United Empires, listen, listen to this record. Boom, boom, boom. And he's just going, going, going. And he's really hyping up. Like I think <laughs> he believed that United Empire was walking out with those that gold again. So Chris, you fucked over one of the best. Uh... <laughs> no, it's not his fault. I'm just joking. But um, you know that I thought that that was a, a great story element. It's just like, you know, Kevin really does hone in on those types of things and really like drives it home. So when this type of surprise angle takes place and they do decide to do a, a surprise turn, it drives it home even more for the viewer. Like, oh wow, like them winning really matters because this team was poised to like be super dominant and you know it didn't work out that way yeah definitely a big upset here and surprise shock and um you know i wasn't really expecting this we did see um Fale and chase they did beat bishamon uh, on the way to this matchup here i did expect um the bishamon team to probably eat the pinfall so you could continue and maybe do a one-on-one between bullet club and united empire but um Bishamon did eat the pin here, but it was actually Bull Club that got the win here. Um, and like you mentioned, with Ocon and Cobb being so dominant, first-time tag champions, I know a lot of times we do see short first-time championship reigns, and it is the tag team titles, which you know traditionally usually does switch hands a lot because obviously New Japan is not known for having a strong tag team division, but still right. very surprising with this, this push of the United Empire, we did see a tease of United Empire potentially facing off against the Good Brothers based off what happened in Chicago at Windy City Riot. So it definitely seemed like it made sense. Those guys are going to be in the U.S. Um, in May for Capital Collision. It seemed like it made sense to keep the belts on those guys and have them be champs with Wallace. Junior Tour is about to kick off in a couple of weeks. Uh, but they went here with uh, Chase and Fale. They used their new finisher, the, the rocket launcher elbow on Hiroki Goto to get the win here and become the new tag champs. We have a question here from MJSPR. He says, all due respect to the crown jewel, but why in the world will they take the titles off of Khan and Okab just for the broader Bullet Club angle? Yeah, I think partially that's true. Um, I think another part of it, too, is that we as fans are always – hoping and longing for a revitalization of the uh, heavyweight tag, you know, scene, or even just the tag scene in general, including the junior titles. And every time they like take a few steps forward, it seems like they take a few steps back. And um, a lot of our wishes and a lot of our projections, I think sometimes are more based off of wishful thinking because we see the pieces in place for them to do what we're hoping for them to do. But at some point you kind of have to accept just like with a partner, you have to accept the flaws, the good with the bad sometimes and realize like, this is who this person is. Gato doesn't give a fuck about tag team wrestling. He never has (laughs) (laughs) and he never will. And to some degree it is a vehicle for the overall company as a whole and for their bigger storylines and and things like that so um any from just a stamp like a a storyline standpoint because they don't have a strong tag division as it is just like we said it does make sense 
that they would have the uh, the Bullet Club team pick up the victory because, again, keep in mind, they didn't beat United Empire. They defeated Bishamon. This kind of eliminates Bishamon's claim from the title for the time being, gets them prepped for their individual runs in the G1 coming up in, in the later summer months. And now we sort of have United Empire poised against the Bullet Club, which I think was even... I don't think that's a major story, but it sort of was already kind of established at Windy City, right? And I think we're going to see the continuation of that in various different forms throughout the year from going forward, especially within the tag division. Yeah. Um, and I think there's, there's going to be some stuff coming up from the Mutiny Tour. That, that's Bull Club versus United Empire um, that will uh, continue on as well. And also, too, I think one kind of overarching theme that we kind of didn't really mention last week on the preview was you know wrestling don taku is the anniversary of the bullet club that's the show where the bullet club was formed and um you know a lot of times we do see bull club angles and bull club getting a push new members whatever in you know past wrestling don takus and so this here was just like the the first piece of of many uh, Bullet Club angles that we would see throughout the night and just the, kind of the first start of Bullet Club uh, being pushed here on Wrestling Dantaku. Yeah, I mean, those are all things to take into account. Um, as far as the, the revitalization of Bullet Club, I don't think anyone really saw... Well, I mean, I, I can't say anybody, but like as far as us, this podcast, we weren't necessarily projecting all of that, but um, it makes sense. A lot of almost everything that happened on this show, like I was like, ah, it really makes sense, you know? Yeah. So um, I'm not that surprised. The only thing that was really, and, and again, um, kudos to Chase Owens and to Fale for all the contributions that they made to the company during the pandemic. I don't think that they would have necessarily been in the position to do this particular thing, winning the, the gold in this way, had they not really like kind of like honed in and focused in and sacrificed for the good of the company. I, I, I do think this is a little bit of an attaboy for those guys as well. And it kind of adds to their resume and speaks to uh, kind of the commitment that the company has to them moving forward. Um, but yeah, it makes sense. And I mean, I don't know necessarily that it's going to be a long reign. I could see them switching the titles right back to United Empire in short order. I could also see them um, one thing too, you know, we talked about Aussie Open and um, them coming into the company. And I wouldn't be surprised if hypothetically they come in and win those titles in, in quick quick order as well so that United Empire have them again. But, you know, uh, it's not like necessarily that Jeff Cobb and uh, Great O'Connor are, are tag guys, you know. Right. So I, I think it might not even be the best use of them. Right. I think initially when the, the... – uh, faction started they they needed a tag team so that they put con and Okab together but now like you mentioned now they have aussie open a awesome tag team and those guys are gonna be working new japan now like it makes a ton of sense to you know get those belts on aussie open so i could see you know potentially chase and Fale retaining at dominion and then you debut aussie open in japan and i don't know if you, you wait till world tag league and have them win that and challenge at Wrestle Kingdom or if you, you bring them in um, for a, a fall show, Power Struggle, King of Pro Wrestling, whatever they end up running in the fall um, and have them debut and do a title challenge there. 
Um, like you said, I do think this is going to be, you know, we, we haven't really seen a ton of faction uh, big warfare recently. Um, and so here it seems like we're going to get this kind of big warfare between Bullet Club and the United Empire. And I think this is just kind of the start of it here. Yeah. And I think, too, um, we have always assumed, at least us, that the whole point of keeping them strong and pushing them as a tag team for so long was to eventually facilitate them winning these titles and going on a run of some sort, which I think uh, made sense. But it could just literally be that, like you mentioned, they didn't have a tag team. They kind of became a de facto tag team. New Japan obviously has very strong, um, you know, uh, trajectories for both of them in the singles division. Therefore, they have to be kept strong as a tag team because there's no there's no obvious pin eater in that group anyways. Right. You know, and maybe that's why up until now they haven't really come out and made it overt that these guys are a strong quote unquote tag team. They've kind of just been competing quietly and racking up wins. And maybe it's just because like, hey, you know, they're both future, you know, title contenders and top guy, you know, contenders. And that's the real reason. Yeah. Uh, so following this matchup here, we had the best of the Super Junior lineup announcement video package. So for this year's tournament, it is back to a two-block tournament. Thank, thank you. God. Yes, thank you, Lord. We have a uh, two-block tournament once again back in our normal May time slot. So in the A block, we have Risuke Gucci, Yo. The Wild Rhino, Clark Connors from the LA Dojo. We have Hiromu Takahashi, Alex Zane, Francisco Akira from the United Empire, Taiji Ishimori, Show and Impact's X Division champion, Ace Austin, which there was an angle on Impact last week where our good friend Rocky Romero did invite Ace Austin to be a part of the best of Super Juniors. Well, it shows you how selfless Rocky is because he didn't even get into the super juniors himself. Right. <laughs> he gave up his spot to Ace Austin, essentially. <laughs> uh, and then in the B block, we have Master Watto, Robbie Eagles, Bushi, El Desperado, Doki, TJP, El Fantasmo, CML's Teton, Glates, L. Lindemann, and AEW's Wheeler, Utah. And we have a ton of questions here about this. Do you want to give your thoughts first, or you want to run through some of these questions first? Let's just go through the questions. I'm sure they're going to ask us, you know, things that align with what we're thinking anyways. Yeah, so uh, first question here from Raising Falcon. says, will there be a Best of Super Junior Pick'em? Uh, I don't know, Jeremy. Is there going to be a Pick'em? I know. We haven't talked about it. I, I was thinking about today when I this question. I, I think we could potentially throw something together um, in time for the tournament to start. Uh, so stay tuned on that. Well, you know, it's funny. I won a, uh, I won the New Japan Soy Rizzo uh, giveaway, and they gave me this, like, tote bag. <laughs> I don't know. It's pretty raw. Like, so I don't know if I want to give it away, but maybe we could, maybe that could be a prize. Yeah. I don't know. It's it's really cool. I can't believe I won. I never win anything. Like, and I was like, they were like, hey, we picked you as a winner. I was like, oh, my name is Joshua Smith. I'm the young boy. I'm from Keeping It Strong Style. We're one of the largest New Japan podcasts. You can mention us, you know, if you want to throw us a little lot. And they're like, all right. And then they're just like, <laughs> Joshua Smith 101. 
They're like this Mark. Yeah, like this fucking Mark. Um, next question here from our user Typhoon. What was the point of bringing up Yo's spot in Best of Super Juniors being in danger if he loses for him to lose and then then be put in the field anyways? Well. Was that something that New Japan was pushing or something that Kevin Kelly was pushing? Let me just ask that question. I think that was mainly something that Kevin Kelly was pushing and Chris Charlton and maybe maybe even Hiromu and some of their promo stuff. Okay, see, because if Hiromu's saying it, then they're just feeding off of what he said. And, and I'm not criticizing either of them because that's a good, like, we always talk about that every year when there's major singles feuds taking place, let's say prior to the G1, we're always like, Hey, the guy that loses, this could be either the ticket into the G into the G1 or maybe the ticket out. So it's not that far of a stretch for them to potentially be discussing that. And we already know based on other, um, like interviews that Kevin's done in the past that they're not always necessarily given a lot of direction as to what they can and can't say or what they should or shouldn't say. There are some things that are disclosed and then there's some things that are kind of just them filling in the space. And that could have been what this was here. Maybe not. I I don't know. I can't speak for Kevin. Um, He's supposed to come on the show, isn't he? At some point, maybe we should. Yeah. I did hit him up before he had to Japan. See if we can get him on before uh, super juniors. Yeah, you're slacking, but uh, that's that's kind of how I feel about it. Now, if it was a company directive, that is kind of dumb because it's like, well, why is that a major storyline if the guy was already going to be like announced, you know, within the hour? Right. I think it's probably just to plant some seeds of doubt that maybe Yo wouldn't get announced, or uh, again, like this, there's this comeback story they're trying to tell. They want to build up sympathy for Yo and maybe get people rally behind him in this tournament. Yeah, and I mean, granted, when, when Kevin comes back to do more commentary, it's pretty simple. He's just going to be like, yeah, there's a lot of speculation of if Yo would even make it into the tournament. And with him taking a loss to Hiromu, that was very much in question. So, I mean, right. you I, know, his inclusion in the tournament is very precarious, to say the least. And then at that point, the stage is set for whatever story they're going to tell with him in the tournament. Right, I think to be fair, in kayfabe, I mean, I'm assuming that the IWGP committee had already finalized their decisions before the show, and it wasn't going to be an on-the-fly thing. I mean, the video package was already made. They already built the lineup. I I don't think they would have. Maybe, but I mean, you you ever seen how quick WWE and AEW's like uh, production team can can put (laughs) a fucking video together? (laughs) They can put like something that is that literally touches your soul. Mm. together in, in like five minutes bro they're <laughs> incredible uh yeah they, they could have done that uh next question here from red user bravo tango zulu does ace austin is the only best junior competitor that i haven't seen a match from yet what can i expect any match recommendations i mean he wrestles an impact bro i don't watch fucking impact so i don't know what to tell you <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I uh, have seen very little of Ace Austin. Most of the stuff I do see ends up being like multi-man matches, which are you know, multi-man exhibition matches, and they're very good, high-flying, a uh, high pace. I'm sure we could probably pull up cage match and see I've already got it. what his highest-rated matches. So I've seen an Ace Austin match that I thought was really good. It was um, last year against Blake Christian. Um, during Genesis. And I thought that was pretty good. It was during the X Cup. 
Okay. And mm-hmm. I'm looking that up and that's here on the, uh, on cage match. And that was pretty good, but like, I haven't seen a lot of Ace Austin from what I can tell. He's pretty good. Um, you know, high flying type type guy. He's got a cool gimmick. Um, his, I'll just throw out his, uh, two, two matches, his highest rated cage match match that period is a three-way match from impact. It's Ace Austin versus Mike Bailey versus Trey Miguel. Um, that's from April 23rd, 2022 from uh, rebellion. So you have that if you want to watch it as far as singles matches go. His highest-rated singles match is from August 17, 2021, Wrestling Victory Road against Christian Cage. And I'm assuming that's probably for – yep, that's for the uh, the Impact World title. Um, he doesn't – you know, his highest-rated match is like 8.61, which is pretty good. So, Yeah, and stuff I've seen from him, obviously very athletic, very high-flying, does some crazy spots. So I think he will fit in perfectly here in this tournament. Uh, next question here from Why Do You Do That Bro? says separate blocks return, but Sho and Yo are both in A block. Why must we suffer? Because it's like they kept them apart for so many years, and now they just want to fucking do it to death. You know what I mean? Yeah. Okay, I was like, hey, man, we, we gave you several years. We, we, we teased it. We had them a long team. Like, no, nah, we got we to run it now. We got to have them over and over and over again. The thing is, is like I do deep down believe they're capable. Well, Never mind. I'm not even gonna say that. I'm gonna say <laughs> uh, And obviously, there is a story to tell based off of last year's tournament as well. With them, obviously, it was a single block, so obviously everybody was in the same block last year. But uh, you know, Yo did beat Show to knock him out of the finals, and that got Yo into the finals. So I'm sure Show is gonna be trying to get some revenge here. In a perfect world, the best version of Show versus the best version of of Yo sh- hypothetically should cr- like equate to a very very good great match it's never happened but hypothetically it's possible right yeah i'm assuming (laughs) Uh, i'll say right now as of right now it's probably one of my least anticipated matches of the whole tournament it's when those guys (laughs) those guys wrestle again uh next question from whiz factor says is it me or is this the most mind-blowing best super junior lineup in a long time I don't think I've seen a bracket this stacked in the Bushi Road era. I will respectfully disagree, vehemently disagree. Uh, this is a cool lineup. Very cool. Very good. I'm not going to shit on it at all. And I know um, there's like that. <laughs> I don't want to get too vulgar, but there's that funny um, old Eddie Murphy uh, skit where he's talking about like, if you if you're starving, if you're starving to death, and then someone gives you a cracker, you'll think it's the greatest cracker you've ever had in your life. And then he equates that to like someone who maybe hasn't had a lot of like sexual activity, just being with one person. Like, oh my god, this is the greatest thing in the entire world. He's like, but then you you find out later after you get married, like you you, you were stuck with crackers. It's the same old cracker you had all the time. That's that's kind of how I feel about the super juniors. Now I'm not saying it's a cracker in general, but um, I don't know, man. We had super juniors in the past with Ricochet, Prince Devitt, Kenny Omega, Dragon Lee, Dragon Lee. You know what I mean? Um, Shingo. (laughs) Shingo Takagi, Will Ospreay. The list goes on and on. Now, are there 
a few more outsiders here, but like, bro, it wasn't that long ago that we had like Flip Gordon and Bandito and Gresham. Gresham, bro, we had <laughs> dude that tw- that 2019 lineup w- was so yeah. stacked. Yeah, we're not even that far away from like some really fucking stacked uh, G1 lineups. You know, there was that one. Uh, what was the one? There was the one with like Seidel and all those fucking dudes. It was like maybe 2017. Yeah. No, no, no. It was the 2015 G1. It was the one Super with the juniors. famous. Huh? Super, you said G1. Oh, I'm sorry. 2016. That's the G1. That's the one with the famous Ricochet and um, Will Ospreay match, right? Yeah, the one that uh, broke the internet. Yeah. Like, we've had some incredible best of the Super Junior lineups within the decade. So I, I, I can't agree with that whatsoever. Yeah, the thing is, this is a situation of obviously the last two years we've um, had single block Super Juniors and not the best Super Juniors with no foreigners or uh, outside uh, talent here. And so, you know, we're back to to normal agenda here and got some exciting names. And, yeah, this is a pretty good lineup compared to the last two years. Uh, but, again, I wouldn't say it was it's one of the best of the Bushi Road era. Now, I'm – this is just me throwing a random one out here. It's the one that I mentioned 2016. And I don't even think it's like necessarily the best ever, but just listen to it. Osprey, Taguchi, Seidel, Bobby Fish, Ricochet, Bushi, Kyle O'Reilly, Volador, Rocky Romero, Liger, Kushida, Tiger Mask, Finley, Owens, Gato, Beretta. Like that's not that far off from what we got here. In fact, it, in some cases it might be better. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Yeah. That was a pretty good lineup that year. And the year before, Mascara Dorada was in it. Nick and Matt Jackson, like, were in the fucking Super Juniors. So, <laughs> Barbaro Cavernario was in it. And, I mean, if, if you talk about prior to the, uh, you know, prior to the Bushi Road era, I mean, you look at, like, some of those 90s Super Juniors. Otani, Kanemoto, Eddie Guerrero, Benoit, Dean Malenko, Pillman, Alex Wright. One, two, three, kid, two cold Scorpio. You see what I'm saying? Like, yeah. no, this is not like, <laughs> this is not. <laughs> it is not. <laughs> uh, next question here from Ghost of Doc Gonzo. Who you got in best super juniors? I'm picking Despi to win it in a final against Francisco Akira. I haven't even begun to consider who is winning this year's Super Juniors. And we're going to do our big preview and prediction show next week. So we'll have some time to to think about our picks and decisions and different scenarios, and we'll give you guys who we think is uh, winning this thing next week. Uh, So next question, uh, less commission, 7252. Do you guys see later in the year or at Russell Kingdom, a Hiromu versus Dragon Lee rematch. With Dragon Lee not participating in the best of the Super Junior, can the match still be a work in progress? Yeah, I've got to say, um, obviously there's other names that were omitted from the Super Juniors, just in general. Like, in, in terms of juniors that exist out there that could have conceivably been in this, there's a lot of names that were omitted. But the two names for me that I'm like, they could have really and probably should have been in this. And I'm sort of confused as to why they're not. Maybe it's just a time constraint or a spacing thing. But like Dragon Lee's one of them. And, and then Chris Bay 
who's a member of the Bullet Club and a roster member of Impact Wrestling. Um, he's the other one. And yeah, I am disappointed that Dragon Lee is not in this. I don't know what his um, ongoing relationship with New Japan is, and I can't speak as to whether I do. I've got to imagine that there's a very good chance that one day we'll get another Dragon Lee Haruma match, but it's not guaranteed. We might have, who knows? You know, the wrestling landscape changes very quickly. We may have potentially seen the last match between those two already. Yeah, I know at one point he had signed a New Japan contract before the pandemic and was supposed to, you know, that that was kind of the loophole of him working there because he had left CMLL. Um, and so with right. him having a New Japan contract, that was that allowed him to continue to work New Japan, but also pandemic changed a whole bunch of stuff. Um, don't know what the status of that contract is, if it ended up, you know, lapsing because of the pandemic and not being able to get over there. Um, so hopefully we will see another Dragon Lee uh, Hiromu matchup, and um, you know hopefully they will be able to to bring Dragon Lee uh, back into New Japan Pro Wrestling. Hopefully, yeah. Uh, next question here from Kevin Crawford: What are some matches that could be sleeper hits for Wheel of Utah in the best of the Super Junior Tournament? That's an interesting question. Um, you know. I like Wheeler Yuta a lot, and they've done a fantastic job really pushing him, especially in this storyline with, uh, you know, Moxley and, and Danielson and, and everything like that. But at the same time, this is a huge test for the guy. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, they've elevated him to this certain level, and the Mox match was incredible, but it's not like within the company he's got this body of work that is equal to the push that he's receiving um the reception from the crowd and the perception is equal and you can't discount that i'm not saying he doesn't deserve it but he doesn't have the body of work within AEW. let's say comparable to like a darby allen you know what i mean Mm -hmm. so i mean looking at the he's got a chance here to really make waves um you know, the first match that's really interesting to me on paper, just looking at B-Block for him, is L. Lindemann. Because mm. L. Lindemann's great. And, I mean, that's a guy that I think he could go out there and, like, fucking kill it with. Yeah. Uh, I think another guy, uh, Robbie Eagles. We, we see the great work Eagle does in Japan. And also when he's not in Japan, he's in Australia, tearing up the, the Australia independent wrestling scene. And I think those two guys uh, could have a beggar. The other name, and I think we'll probably both agree on this because of his perception as being like lower card, but just because of how how much he goes out there and tries. And Doki, Doki yeah. and Wheeler Yuta sounds fucking awesome to me. Yeah, because Doki is gonna like risk his body. He he's not going back to Mexico. He's gonna be out there, you know, doing the big sentons from the top to the outside. Then Utah, we've seen he he's willing to you know get grimy and blade and you know have blood and guts. So I think it'll be a really fun match. Let me put on my conspiracy theorist hat for a second. If mm. I was Tony Khan, right, and I'm sending Wheeler Utah, and I want Wheeler Utah to, like, have a great showing, but I also don't want him to eat a lot of losses. And maybe I want him to come back and work TV because, you know, he seems to be a pretty integral part of their television product. Maybe I have him in, like, two to three matches, and the third match is against Doki, right? Mm-hmm. And in that match, he just bleeds a fuck ton. Doki gets his mask ripped open. He bleeds a fuck ton. And then at the end of it, 
Wheeler Yuta, and Wheeler Yuta wins all his matches. And then after this crazy, insane, bloody match with uh, with Doki, gets medically, you know, unable to compete for the remainder of the tournament, and he gets sent <laughs> home. He does three nights, wins all his matches, and then he, you know, ends up so hurt that he has to come home, and then he forfeits the rest of the tournament. And but he has this one standout match with Doki that everyone's like, "Oh my god." And then he's back in time for dynamite. Yeah, that's what I would do. I don't know. That that scene is really complicated. I, I don't. Feel, I feel it's like it's not complicated at all. <laughs> if you're a worker like me, it's not complicated whatsoever. Oh uh, yeah, I don't have to go through all that all that trouble for to bring Wheel Utah in. What what trouble? He goes <laughs> over there. He has three matches. He has a banger. He gets some experience. He comes home. He's back in time for taping. I don't see the. I don't see the problem. Uh. Last question here from either Boots and Burns. How is the best of Super Junior booking of El Lindemann, Ace Austin, and Will Utah going to go, especially with the politics of them holding titles with their respective promotions? That's a very, very interesting question. Because, um, you know, I, I know El Lindemann is the G-Rex champion, and that's the top title in Glade. Mm-hmm. And then what's Ace Austin? He's X-Division yeah, champion, he, yep, I'm guessing? Yeah, he's the X-Division champion, yep. See, I didn't even know that. <laughs> um, and then obviously Wheeler Utah is like the ROH pure title, which like we don't even know if ROH really actually exists or not. Like that remains to be seen. It's a uh, you know how you have like the, the ghost kitchens? It, it's a ghost promotion. <laughs> oh. <laughs> like it happens, you know, the ghost kitchen, it's like, you know, whatever wings where they're being cooked in chilies and it's really just like chilies wings. Well, ROH is like happens in AEW. It says it's a separate promotion, but it's really just AEW. Wheeler Utah being the ROH champion is like The Rock being the WCW world champion. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Um, But that is... Okay, so, like, my opinion is the more important the company, the better the guy is going to get booked. So, if you were asking my opinion, it's pretty simple. Um... Wheeler Utah is going to get booked extremely well. El Lineman's not going to be that far off. And the Impact Champion's going to go 50 <laughs> 50. Yeah. And I did see some rumors that the X Division Championship will be defended at Dominion. Uh, I've seen a few people tweet that out or mention that online. Uh, I haven't seen anything official from New Japan. And maybe it's possible it was mentioned on Impact. I don't, I don't watch Impact. Uh, weekly, so I don't know if it was potentially mentioned there in the angle with Rocky, but uh, if they are having a exhibition championship match at Dominion, obviously somebody who beats Ace Austin in this tournament could challenge. And normally, exhibitions they do love to do multi man. So if you know three people beat Ace Austin, you you got a four way there that you could do at Dominion for the exhibition championship. Yeah, I mean that's possible. I haven't heard anything about it, but it. Kind of makes sense. Yeah. Uh, so, any other thoughts on uh, best super juniors? No, I mean, I. So, the fact that we're going back to two blocks, super exciting. The fact that we have outsiders from other companies, namely Glate, AEW, and Impact, and CMLL, very exciting. The inclusion of guys from New Japan of America and the LA Dojo that haven't been able to get over pre-pandemic, 
Very exciting. Um, at the same time, do I think, uh, you know, one, one, the one thing I was going to complain about, and it's not a huge complaint, but it's sort of what we mentioned when we were asked about the quality of the lineup. Is this bad quality of lineup? No, I don't think it is at all. But it, again, this to me, this doesn't line up with the heyday of the Super Juniors tournaments and the Super Junior, or just the junior division in general, four or five years ago. You know, when we had all those names that we mentioned earlier <laughs> yeah. kind of going at their. But, you know, again, that's, I don't know, maybe that's a little bit gatekeeperish of me to say that. But, you know, I just, I hear people acting as though like this is the golden era of like super juniors. And I'm like, I don't think so, but um, I'm excited. I'm excited. I'm glad that we don't have to watch this in December with world tag league. I'm excited that it's two blocks. And so we don't have that weird rematch final that we get every year. I am nervous about showing yo in the tournament just in general. Um, but overall, you know, I don't know. I'm hoping like I don't know. I'm hoping like ELP wins. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. As but... weird as that sounds, as as much as I've been a detractor of ELP over the years, like I'm kind of hoping he's the guy they push because like <laughs> I'm looking at this field and I'm like, I don't know. Yeah, and I, I think we're gonna get a ton of great matches, and they did they did announce all of the uh, main events that will be happening uh, throughout the tour. So on May 15th, it'll be Yo versus Taiji Ishimori. May 17th, El Esperado versus Teton. May 18th, it'll be Hiromu Takahashi versus Francisco Akira. May 19th, El Esperado versus TJP. May 20th, it'll be Taiji Ishimori versus Alex Zane. May 22nd, Wheeler Utah versus El Desperado. Uh, May 24th in Corkin, we have a double header. El Esperado versus El Lindemann and Taiji Ishimori versus Sho. May 25th, another double header, header in Corkin, Hiromu Takahashi versus Yo, Master Wato versus El Sparado. May 26th, again in Corkin with another double header with Robbie Eagles versus ELP and Hiromu Takahashi versus Sho. Then in on May 28th, we'll have El Sparado versus Doki, Hiromu Takahashi versus Alex Zane. Uh, May 29th, Robbie Eagles versus El Sparado and Francisco Akira versus Taiji Ishimori. Yeah, and I mean, um, you know, the two names that come that that you see there time and time again, night after night, Hiromu Takahashi and El Desperado, which makes all the sense in the world considering their place within this division over the past two to three years. So that's not surprising whatsoever, but there are some very interesting uh, main events sort of lined up here. And I, you know, those nights were where they have... Um, you know, both A block and B block competing on the same night. In the past, some of those shows have just been blow away. And yeah. So I'm really excited to see the inclusion of those once again. Um, usually, you can kind of look at the last couple of nights and kind of get a good feeling for what the finals sort of are projected to look like. But I don't know, you know, uh, just given how much Desperado and, and Harumu have been in, involved in these finals, if that's the way they're going again. Um, I don't know. I, I, I guess we'll do the preview here in the next few weeks and kind of um, give our, our final analysis on some of that. But uh looks really good. Yeah, really excited for it. 
So after the Best Super Junior announcement, we uh, came back to action here, and we had the never open weight title on the line, and the good bad guy did it. Tama Tonga defeats Evil, 13 minutes and 25 seconds. Uh, you know, I got to say, I really enjoyed this uh, matchup here with Tama Tonga and evil. Yes, it had all the House of Torture um shenanigans that we, we've seen from evil matches, but uh, I thought they, they kind of did a good job in placing some of the shenanigans. And again, I've become invested in this Tamatonga evil storyline, and I really want to see Tamatonga beat evil. So I was kind of bought in on you know all the near falls and all you know Tamatonga. Uh, coming back, and, you know, it helped, too, that, you know, he had Jado out there to kind of help fight off some of the House of Torture uh, interference. I don't know. I, I really end up enjoying this matchup. Um, Yeah, I don't think you're alone in that. I mean, this is one of those examples, what we were talking about earlier, where we started to hear the crowd make audible noises, and there was definitely a visceral reaction to um, any time Tamatonga was put in, in danger and any time he came close to winning and then the eventual uh, culmination of the match with him winning. Um, so, I mean, that's very apparent. I didn't think the match was necessarily, like, very good, uh, per se. Uh, it is an evil match. And, you know, um, I know I've given some praise recently to some of the evil matches with Hiromu. I didn't think this was quite that, but... Uh, I do agree with what you're saying there. I don't think that this was egregiously bad in the way, you know, in the tradition of many of Evil's recent singles, major singles matches over the past couple of years. I thought this was fine. I didn't think this was that far off from some of the other singles matches we saw earlier on the evening, like Yujiro and Tangaloa or Hiromu and Yo. And in fact, I thought this was slightly better than those, especially considering the surprise finish. And I liked the aspect where the house of torture um, devices and tropes don't seem to work as well on Tamatanga because he's been on the inside for so many years with Bullet club. He knows the playbook, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so a lot of the things that they're trying on him, he's already anticipating and expecting them. He's probably instructed them in the ways of, of of evil in the past no pun intended and that kind of came to play here i mean he sort of had evil's number and knew everything they're going to do before it ever happened yeah um again you know having jato out there helped and uh yeah that too uh, he's got a heater yeah master heater um the, the big spot here was uh towards the end where tamatanga got evil locked in the sharpshooter um Dick Togo went out and rang the bell, making um, Tamatonga thought that he won the matchup there, and it seemed like he was they going. They got me. It, it, dude, I was so mad. I, I was I, so mad. I was like, <laughs> oh, this fucking idiot. I, I watched this show live, and obviously no no spoilers, <laughs> and I was like, man, like here it is. He's going to get screwed. He, he's not going to win the matchup here, but um, – you know, he was able to, to rally back here. You know, Togo and Evil, they did hit the, the Magic Killer, and then they were going to go for the Super Power Bomb. But uh, Jado made a save with the Kendo Stick, and then Tamatonga was able to hit a really nice-looking uh, gun stun and pin Evil 
to win the Never Openweight Championship, his first singles championship in New Japan Pro Wrestling. But he did not get much time to celebrate as soon as he won and was raising that belt up. We had a surprise appearance from the machine gun Carl Anderson and the big LG Doc Gallows. They hit the ring. They take out Tamatonga. They hit him with the magic killer. They're beating him and Jado down. Um, Carl Anderson actually accidentally grabs the, the wrong never title. He grabs a six-man belt instead of the actual never title, but it was clear that he was uh, setting up to challenge Tamatonga for the never title. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, the thing is with this match, uh, he beat him with the, the gun stun. Where do you think he got that move from? Machine gun. You know? So, um, obviously, there's a lot of history between these two guys. But, I mean, considering it's Dantaku, considering the ties to Bullet Club, considering the origins of the formation of the group and the longstanding history, uh, you know, between these guys. And I, one thing I've really appreciated, obviously, in real life, Carl Anderson and uh, Tamatonga are the best of friends. But they have committed to this gimmick that's been ongoing for the greater part of a year ongoing to where they're not showing up on each other's shows. They're not commenting on each other's stuff positively in social media. You know, they're not posting, you know, the pictures when they go to brunch with each other's families in Tampa. Right. (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah. They're committed to the ongoing blood feud that's been ruminating between the two of them. And every time, either one of them speaks about, especially Tamatanga about one another in public. It's always negative. Uh, ever since this, um, you know, this whole thing started kind of building and, um, I'm here for it. And, you know, the never title has a lot of ties going back to machine gun, Carl Anderson. I mean, he competed in the first ever never title match against Masato Tanaka all the way back in who knows what year was that 2010 uh, think, earlier i think it was 2012 yeah um, so it's it's a long time coming and um you know we've seen carl anderson in new japan over the past year but it's only been on strong tapings and it's you know been in the u.s and stuff like that nothing like really major and then for him to come back as a singles force and basically be like yo i'm still the fucking machine gun when i when i heard him say that i was like oh are you? Because you haven't <laughs> been in a long time. But if you are, I'm here for it. Let's see this. Like, and so uh, you know, I'm, I'm kind of stoked about it. Let's give him the benefit of the doubt. If it ends up not being the case, you know, it's whatever. But um, yeah, this was exciting. Yeah, definitely. You know, one of the hot angles here that happened on this show and big surprise appearance. I don't think anybody expected the Good Brothers to to show up here and attack Tamatanga. And again, just more. Signs to come of, you know, Bull Club things happening at Wrestling Don Taku. Uh, so some question here. Uh, so from Reddit user Typhoon, he says, Evil is legit one of the best on the roster. Maybe it's my Western wrestling upbringing, but he is a fine heel. What's with all the people upset that a, at a heel does heel things to win? Uh, what was the question? I'm sorry. <laughs> Uh, he said, what's with all the people being upset that a heel does heel things to win? Um, and they're they're talking about who? They're talking about evil? Evil. He said evil is legit one of the best on the roster. 
Maybe it's my Western wrestling upbringing, but he is a fine heel. Gotcha. You know what's throwing me off is like, I'm, there's a lot of questions here, but I'm like not finding. I usually like to like look at the question as you're reading it. I, yeah. Oh, I found it. You skipped a couple of questions. Well, because I, I did some, I was doing some cutting and pasting because I realized I had some questions about the, another angle mixed up with these questions that shouldn't have been there. So. Oh man. Okay. So that's <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> um, you know, sure. I I don't know. Do, do I need to like? unpack the last years of criticisms about evil on this episode like is this the appropriate stage for i here's what i'll say um if i do think evil can be a competent wrestler when he wants to be but he has not been for years now since this turn he has literally sucked fucking ass for years with a couple notable exceptions. And even those notable exceptions are just okay. They're not even really great matches. I think I give them the bump because it's like, oh, Evil had a he had an okay match. <laughs> um, and then my my the retort to that would be like, well, he's a heel, you're not supposed to like him. Okay. Well, there's a lot of heels that have that do heelish things that I don't like that also have really entertaining characters and matches and storylines that I actually care about. And with evil, I just don't want to watch him wrestle. And I haven't for years now. And just to name a few for you, I don't know, MJF, Cody Rhodes, Will Ospreay, Jay White. You know, those are just a couple. I don't know. Uh, Chiampa at the height of his powers. Those are all guys that I think are just, think about the heights of Cody's healdom. The heights of, you know, uh, all those guys' heel dumps, all the top of their heel runs, and then compare notes with evil. We're not talking about the same thing. Yeah, and also I don't want to go into a whole diatribe about evil. I mean, if you listen to the show in, in the last year, we've had our criticisms and complaints. And the thing, is, the thing here is that you're being overlooked. Like, it's not the heel tactics that, that are the problem. Obviously, no. heels are going to cheat. Heels, a heel's job is to get heat and sympathy on Bayface, and also we get that. We've been watching wrestling for 30 years now. Uh, we, we know heels are going to cheat. The issue is where you place the cheating and how much cheating you have. We've seen Bull Club leaders in the past, AJ Styles, Kenny Omega, Prince Devitt, and even with Jay White, like these guys, they they do cheat in their when they were you know heels in their matches, but the cheating is placed so well it enhances the story of the matchup, and it gets the the right kind of reaction from you. And everything else in between their cheating is very very good. Obviously, Balor, Styles, Omega, Jay White, you know four of the best wrestlers in the world, and they had. Great matchups, you know, there's great stuff happening in between the cheating. With Evil, there is not great stuff happening in between the cheating. There was slow, plodding, meandering, uh, subpar wrestling that's happening in between Dick Togo coming in with the Garot Wire and Yujiro coming out and Sho coming out with the wrench and all this uh, shenanigans. Yep, I agree. 
Uh, his next question, how far will NJPW go with G.O.D. as singles wrestlers? They're both pretty good and got a good look. Yeah, I think that this has given them a new lease on life because as a tag team act, they'd kind of gone as far as they possibly could. And I'm not saying they'll never tag again. Um, think about like, for instance, just to kind of give a comparison. I know it's not a perfect comparison, but think about like the Hardy Boys. They or even Edging Christian is another example. Those were both teams that were very popular, had won the title multiple, multiple times, done a lot of different stories, and then kind of fizzled out. And the way they needed to reinvigorate themselves was to separate, do their own stories, be singles guys. And then guess what? There was money in the reunion later on. So I think that for them, even if it's not necessarily a full-blown separation, full-blown singles runs, but just the idea of sabbaticals where they're doing single stuff and then while they're doing their own, and we're seeing, we're kind of seeing this with like Dangerous Techers as well is another good example. Yeah. While they're, while they're doing singles runs, there's other teams developing. There's other guys that are coming up through the ranks. And now they've got, when they come back as a tag team, they've got fresh teams, fresh matchups. I like this. I think it's a great thing. And um, as far as how how far are they willing to go with them? Well, that remains to be seen. But I think a lot of it's going to be based on what kind of reactions they get, how good the matches are, and you know what kind of report cards come back after their um, performances and delivery. In the past, we've seen them have you know opportunities to run as singles, and they didn't pan out. They didn't do so well. This doesn't feel like that. This feels like they're knocking it out of the park almost every time. So. Yeah, and like you mentioned, I think, you know, these guys have done so much as a tag team. They've won the tag titles multiple times. They've won world tag. Like, like there's only so much more that you could do with these guys as a tag team. So having them do some single stuff, I think it's um, a, uh, some fresh air, breath of fresh air, and it's really going to kind of revitalize these guys and bring some new interest. And so far, it is working well. The domestic crowd is really into the storyline and really have been behind Tamatonga and Tangaloa. I think uh, Tamatonga probably has the higher uh, ceiling of going far and having some bigger singles and matches uh, where, where Tangaloa can be a really good, you know, opening card guy and having some fun matches um, kind of open up the shows. And, I mean, that's for now. There was a time where we would have said the opposite. Yeah. So who knows? Uh, next question here from Pumping Bomb- Bomba. Says, do you think evil has improved since Wrestle Kingdom? There's still a lot of interference, but his recent matches were all enjoyable. Seem like the crowds are into it as well. Well, there is it. Granted, one thing we've always said was not the fact that evil sucks and then it just became apparent. It was the fact that evil could be wrestling better if he chose to, because we already know this based on his previous iteration as a member of LIJ. Now, I've never been the biggest evil fan personally, but I would be, you know, an idiot to say he had no good matches. He had good matches. We have, especially me, I think I've always kind of theorized that he was sort of on a similar trajectory to the one that we saw with Jay White when he first came back from um, uh, Excursion. Excursion, where... For the first like year and a half, it was very much character development, story-driven stuff. And there was a lot of complaints we had about Jay White initially, even though you know his lows were much higher 
<laughs> than the depraved lows that we've gotten with evil. But yes, I have noticed that recently he's had better matches. Now, is that because they've kind of taken the the uh, chains off of him and given him more freedom to actually perform at a higher level? That is very possible. Or maybe he's made that choice on his own. Um, but it'd be hard for me to say that he has quote-unquote improved when the 2016 version of the guy was much better than he is now. You know what I mean? Right. Uh, this This seems to be a reversion to the better version of himself that already previously existed. Right. And like you said, I don't know, you know, where the direction is coming from. Also, it does seem there, there has been some kind of direction of, all right, you can wrestle a little bit more now, whatever, whoever's call that is. And yeah, some of his matches have been a little bit more enjoyable. You know, that, the end of that, that Ishii match, the Hiromu match, and now this Tamatonga match. Uh, but yeah, like you said, you go back to 2016, never evil who's having, you know, slug fest with Ishii back then. It's like, man, I, I wish that evil was wrestling right now. Well, I guess I also hated half his matches. So, <laughs> uh, And then uh, last question on this matchup here from Viking pain. He says, I laughed my ass off when Carl Anderson held up the never six man title instead of the open weight title after his beat down of Tama. So clearly the Good Brothers are challenging for the never six-man titles, right? Yeah, that's funny. I didn't even notice that, to be honest with you. <laughs> but um, one thing that was funny was I, I saw, uh, I don't remember where it was, but I saw some sort of interview or maybe it was a podcast with them. And they were kind of asked about their runs with the WWF tag team titles. And they're like, which, which titles did we hold over there? Like they <laughs> legit didn't remember. And he was like, you know, in Japan, when you hold the IWGP title, he's like, granted, it's not like they've got the greatest tag division, but it's like an actual title that kind of means something. It's got some weight to it. He's like, but those red and blue belts, they just kind of pass those around. Like, we knew we were going to get one eventually. I don't even remember which ones we held. I think we held both of them. <laughs> yeah, I'm <laughs> like, sure. He's like, it's not like it was a legacy thing. He's like, it's not like, uh, you know, I didn't feel like, oh, we're in the same, like, uh, vein as the Heart Foundation and Demolition and you know, the Hardy boys and stuff like that. He's like, you know, it's a belt it's a gimmick. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure he just saw never on a belt and grabbed it and held it. Yeah, up. He was like, this is the never belt. This looks like, this is, a, I don't know. It's the one I fought Tanaka for. Probably. <laughs> probably it was. So, uh, moving on to the next matchup here, we have the IWGP junior heavyweight title matchup where we have a new champion. The Bone Soldier Taiji Ishimori, he defeated El Desperado in 14 minutes and 40 seconds to become the new IWGP Junior Heavyweight Champion. What were your thoughts of this match, Jeremy? I enjoyed this one a lot. I know um, we've been uh, pretty critical on Taiji Ishimori as of late. And, you know, sometimes he shows up to play and sometimes he doesn't and he just kind of you know, sleepwalks his way through matchups. And uh, I know Desperado, um, you know, he's been having some good matches, but he really hasn't had anything super uh, blow away so far in his title reign. And I was with a, a pretty good matchup here. Uh, you had uh, Taiji Ishimori uh, really working on the, the arm and shoulder of Desperado in the, in the match to uh, set up his uh, bone lock. And then you had Desperado working over um, Ishimori's leg to, to look for uh, the numero dos, and there's just a lot of really great 
back and forth um, reversals and escapes from uh, submissions here. And I thought the selling was really good. And it just seemed like uh, Taiji Ishimori just seemed to be one step ahead of Desperado um, all throughout the uh, matchup here. And, uh, you know, there's a great near fall towards the end where Despi, he finally hit the, the pinchy lo- pinche loco uh, that he was looking for all throughout the match. And he didn't go for the pinfall after one. He went for the roll through and tried to go for another. Then Ishimori was able to quickly reverse that into uh, the bone lock and get the surprise uh, submission victory over Despi. Yeah, um, you know, I don't know if I was quite as high on this one as uh, you were possibly. Um, I thought it was good, um, maybe just a smidge below great. So I'm probably like three and three quarters on this one. Um, you know, it's for me, it's felt for a long time like Ishimori hasn't really felt truly invigorated within this company i mean the last time i really felt like he was uh truly like on fire was maybe just that singular appearance between him and hiromu at the uh wrestle kingdom in the dome just when the pandemic was was that just before the pandemic started or yeah i think wasn't that was that wrestle kingdom 13 i think i think so yeah that's where he came out with the terrible hair (laughs) that might have even been the first Wrestle Kingdom after the pandemic started is actually what I think it was. Well, that, that would have been 14 then, I think. Yeah, I think that's the one. But um, in either case, I mean, since then, I, re- I recall when he beat, Hiromu was carrying the title, and he beat Hiromu for the title and then dropped it back to Hiromu. And that kind of seemed, like, unnecessary, and I was surprised by it. And Granted, the matches were good, but it was just sort of uninspired. It's kind of how I felt here. Um I do think that, like, obviously Desperado is uh, an incredible talent, but this sort of felt indicative of his entire, like, title run. I feel like for some people, for the diehards of New Japan, Desperado is, like, the guy. They love him, and they feel like he is, like, this christened anti-hero established man within within the company. But his run at at the top, has been sort of plagued by a lot of listless matches, uh, dead crowds. And it kind of reminds me of how a boot or yeah, how Abushi's title runs at the top and his like tournament wins have kind of been plagued with some of the same sort of elements where like it's viewed as lesser than because it happened during this down period in the company's uh, time. That's what this feels like to me. Mm-hmm. Again, the match was fine. But there was hardly any build. I didn't expect the title change to come here. It feels sort of like, why would Desperado lose the belt just before Super Juniors? Mm -hmm. That almost feels like a demotion. At the same time, we are seeing where him and Hiromu are slotted as the top two main guys going into the tournament. I'm not really a big fan of that because, I mean, why why are they putting the belt on a guy who's going to be hardly main eventing any of the nights during the uh, the Super Junior Tournament in general, maybe that's necessary because of uh, all the other outside guys they have coming into the tournament. I don't know. But, um, I, yeah, I wasn't a big fan of this, uh, this title change here. It just kind of seemed to come out of nowhere. At the same time, I mean, I can't fault the actual 
wrestling itself. The wrestling was fine, good match. But there's a part of me lately, Jeremy, there's a part of me that's longing for the truly great days of the Junior Division. Feels like a long time since we've had the flips that we've come to know in this junior division. And I mean, I'm going to say it right here. I've kind of really like tried to avoid doing this sort of thing, but like you compared new Japan's junior division right now to what we see every single week on AEW dynamite. And it is night and day, the shit that they're putting on in major shows in new Japan. And during the super juniors does not live up to the average flippy junior match, junior style match in AEW period. Yeah. Like if if like I know that they don't have a junior division, but if you compare like what's going on in that company with Ray Phoenix and Dante Martin and Wheeler Utah and Darby Allen, and the list goes on and on. There's probably other names that I'm kind of forgetting. Young Bucks. The Young Bucks, you know? Um Pac. They fucking kill this junior division. They just do. And I'm not I'm not sitting here saying we've got a bad junior division. We don't. But people act like this junior division is so good right now. And it I don't know, man. Like I just my memory's my memory goes long, but like, you know, it was just five years ago. We had Will Ospreay and Dragon Lee and you know, Romu Takahashi and like those dudes were putting on like all time classics. And I can't it's been a very when was the last time we had an all time classic match in the junior division? Was it probably like Hiromu and Des Hiromu and Despi and even that match I wasn't even that high on? Yeah, I mean, I would say probably maybe Hiromu Hiromu and Ryu Lee. That's a a candidate. The last time there was a really, truly, like, incredible, out-of-this-world, match-of-the-year caliber junior match was Hiromu versus Will Ospreay when Will Ospreay left the division. And when he left the division, that division fucking died, bro. That's the real truth here that no one wants to talk about. We want to talk about how great you know, Despy is, and Despy's good, but Despy's not great. You know what was great? Will Ospreay, bro. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. I mean, even if you look back at, like, our awards, I mean, during those mm-hmm. heydays, we would have junior matches where we're like, we have, mm-hmm. to, we, we have to put this in the normal match of the year list because this match was incredible. You look at 2019, you, you look at, you know, Shingo and Ospreay, that's Super Junior Finals. Uh, the run that Shingo was having, all those matches that Osprey was having. You had Dragon Lee uh, coming into the company. You had Bandito there, and uh, there was just so many great matches. I know you're not a big fan of like the Hiromu Ishimori match from 2018, but a lot of people even like love that matchup. And bro, compared to what we have today, I would, I would do, <laughs> I would do crazy things to have that match. <laughs> Um, to have that kind of caliber quality of match in today's, uh, you know, junior division, like fuck, you know. Yeah, and I know, and we know that the junior division was hurt by the pandemic. <laughs> Foreigners weren't able to come in. They weren't able to really partner with outsiders or outside companies to bring people in. And yes, the super junior lineup looks very good. We're getting back to the roots of the junior division. We're having outsiders. We're having, you know. Um, El Lindemann from Glate. We're working with other Japanese promotions. Like we're yeah. get, we're getting back to that. I expect there to be several um, great matches in this year's tournament. Um, even though I I do I mean I did like this championship match a lot, but I would not go as far to say like this was on pace or on level to 
junior title matches that we were getting uh, pre-pandemic. Um, and obviously, Despy and Ishimori, I mean, they're not the most flippy-do guys. A lot of, They do work a lot of uh, submission-based um, kind of stuff, and that's what they did here. And when you watch your junior wrestling, you know, you, you want to see the cool spots. You want to see the cool moves. Um, and we didn't quite get that here, but I did think it was good for a title match, like you mentioned, that didn't have much bill. And I don't know, the, the title change popped me. Because I, I assumed that Despy was, you know, going to moonwalk in the Super Juniors as a champion and a big submission upset victory. I don't know. I, I, was, I was into that. You know, and to a certain extent, maybe that's a really great thing for Desperado from the standpoint that his eligibility to win the Super Juniors is that much more, the, you know, more so. Um, I, he hasn't won the tournament yet, has he? Didn't he, did he not win last year, or was did Hiromi win? La- Hiromi won last year. Despi- Hiromi won last Despi- year. Despi- he, champion, right? He finaled against Hiromi the year before, so like, who knows? He might be a really great candidate to potentially win the tournament, and I'm I'm okay with that. In fact, that makes logical sense to me. But um, you know, I don't know. It's it's hard for me to sit here and like there there are probably some people listening being like. Bro, you're bearing a three and three quarter star match. Match was good. Yeah, but we got standards. This is fucking Sheenhan. <laughs> this is New Japan for wrestling. This is the IW. This is the house that fucking Liger built. Okay, and that's not gonna cut it in the in the Fukuoka Dome. Come on, bro. <laughs> Come on. All right, let's uh, move on to the semi main. Congratulations, Taiji Ishimori. <laughs> Uh, another one for Bullet Club. Bullet Club. Let's move on to the semi-main event here for the IWGP United States Heavyweight Championship. We are crowning a new champ. The title, the championship, was vacant due to Sonata's orbital bone injury. Had to vacate the title here, and we have a new U.S. champ. The Ace rides again. Hiroshi. Tanahashi defeats Tomohiro Ishii 23 minutes, 20 seconds, and this match was absolutely incredible. I love this matchup so much. Bro, take everything that I was criticizing about the previous match and then flip it for this match. You want to see junior-style, hard-ass <laughs> wrestling, high-flying, you know, the levels that I'm talking about? This is what I'm talking about, bro. If, if Tanahashi and Ishii could drop a couple kilos, bro, put them in the fucking Super Juniors. That would be <laughs> okay, bro. That's that's the story that someone needs to pitch, dude. Listen, I don't know who has the inside track to Tanahashi right now, but what if someone was like, "You want to revitalize your career? You want to break some barriers and do something that's never been done before?" Juniors. Dude, I, I don't think Tanahashi can, can cut. I know he's great at having these miraculous weight cuts, you know, going into dome season, but I, I don't know if he bro, can get get down to bro, you get him with the you get him with the right nutritionist. I guarantee you, this guy can cut. <laughs> Put him in line but with no, uh, Tangaloa. I kept so here was my issue at the start of the show. You were like um, match of the month, and you were like, you know, I'm kind of torn, and I was like, I'm not torn at all. There is no there is no question what the match of the month was. 
it was Ishii and Tanahashi. I forgot it that that was in May, and I was like, if you're trying to tell me Will Ospreay versus Mox was better than this match, you're wrong. <laughs> this is the match of the month. This might be like, I don't know if I'm there yet, but it might be my match of the year for New Japan. Right oh now. wow, uh, maybe, bro. It was fucking phenomenal. It was phenomenal. Yes, dude. This this match was so, so great, and this is a story they tell. You you, you had Ishi wrestling. A Tanahashi match. You had Tanahashi wrestling an Ishii match. Tanahashi or Ishii was out here doing dragon screws, doing sling blades, like you know, doing the, the, the ace offense. And you had Tanahashi out here doing never exchanges. And everybody knows how much I loved Tanahashi versus Shingo from last year for the never openweight title and that strong style match. Well, we got some of that here in this matchup here, where Tanahashi and Ishii they're they're doing the strike exchanges and. Tanahashi's in the Ishii role, and he's drilling Ishii with the forearms. And for a second, you kind of forget it's Ishii, and then he kind of snaps back into it and realizes, oh, wait a minute, I am Ishii, and kind of fires up again. <laughs> hey, what do you think is the top-rated match on cage match for 2022 in New Japan right now? Um, is, it, is, this, is this a match now? It is this match <laughs> right here, right now, 9.36. Suck it. I'm not crazy. <laughs> I'm not crazy. I, I'm not saying crazy. I, I, I was a coward. I went four and three quarters, 4.75. Uh, but, dude, I was up off the couch in this match. I, I loved all the exchanges. We, we got our big, you know, kick out at one spot. I lost my mind when Ishii hit the brain buster and Tanahashi mm. kicked out. Like, he hit the brain buster. I was like, Ishii yeah. won. Yeah. I'm like, Josh is getting his wish. Like, Ishii, <laughs> Ishii beat the ace up. Like, this man's getting the strap. And then Tanahashi kicked out. And I was like, what? What? <laughs> <laughs> well, the funny thing was um, Chris Charlton was like, when have you ever seen someone kick out of his brain buster? And I was like, didn't we review a Masato Tanaka match where he kicked out of the brain buster? And, but we were, like, shocked by it because it was, like, you know, 2013 when that could still happen. Yeah. So suck it, Chris Charlton. You don't know as much as we do. Uh, and then the big callback, the one time that Ishii beat Tanahashi in the G1, he used the, the Ishii driver, and he was going driller. For, driller. He was going for that, uh, but uh, Tanahashi was able to reverse that. We had Tanahashi hitting a brain buster on Ishii. That was absolutely nuts. And dude, these guys back and forth, great strikes, great reversals, stealing each other's moves. Dude, this was beautiful professional wrestling right here. There, yeah, there was so much I loved. Everything that you just mentioned it hit it right on the money. There was the one point where Tanahashi was trapped in the corner early on in the match, and uh, Ishii's just like, not nose to nose, but almost chest to chest with him, and he's just like, forearm, forearm, forearm. Tanahashi is hitting Ishii, and Ishii's just no-selling it, and he's just taking them, and he's not backing up. His arms are just like, you know, on the ropes, and he's just kind of centered there. And I was like, oh, oh, it's going to be that kind of match. Now, granted, it's Ishii Tanahashi. We knew this was going to be phenomenal. Mm -hmm. And, you know, based off their previous history, that's no surprise. They've got five-star matches, you know, on deck. They've already done that before, right. so it's no surprise. But with no build, hardly at all, except for just one press conference this week, um, they went out there and they, fuck out, they fucking put on an incredible, Incredible, incredible match. Um, some of the comments that Ishii made um, prior to this match, talking about Tanahashi living in the past and holding on to the flowers that he's received and, you know, kind of like 
telling Tanahashi that like it's a new day and he's gonna make him like eat like all the like losses that he's fed him and everything like that. I was like, come on, dude. Like <laughs> you guys know how much I if you're a longtime listener, you know that probably likely my favorite wrestler is Tanahashi. He but, pointed he pointed at you. Yeah, he pointed at me. But I've been waiting for Ishii to win a singles title in New Japan that's not named Never, you know? (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, uh, I even went as far as, like, I found a a photo this week, uh, an old photo of, like, uh, Ishii holding up the ROH television title. And when um, when they announced (laughs) that he was going to, (laughs) like, first they announced this, but then they also announced that he's challenging. So I, like, hyperimposed the Impact title on that title but I made it look super janky. So like, it's very obvious that it's fake. And I like shared that with everybody. But the, when, but once they announced like he was challenging for the U S title, I was like United States title, Ishii, big red belt. Here we go. So like, I was firmly in the camp. For, like, believe it or not, I was rooting for Ishii against Tanahashi and man, they really got me a lot in this match. I mean, these exchanges were fucking crazy. There's like the one point where like Tanahashi hit him with the first high fly flow. And then he's going the standing high fly phone. He goes up for the second one. And I was like, oh, it's over. And then Ishii moves and I lost my fucking go. Yeah, dude. The near fall in this match is so great. And then the, the, the closing the Ishii sling blade? Bro. Oh, dude. Ishii hit the sling blade perfectly, dude. That man's been, been waiting to do a sling blade. He's never done a sling blade in his life. He's never done a sling blade in his life, and he did a sling blade better Perfectly. than every single other person other than Tanahashi that's ever tried to, to like, bro, fuck you, Seth Rollins, you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, dude, like I mentioned, the closing sequence where Tanahashi hits a brain buster, then a sling blade, Ishii kicks out at one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and then Tanahashi had to go up, hit the, the aces high uh, crossbody, and then finally hits the, the high fly flow to get the win. Man, what an incredible matchup. This is match of the year quality. I think it's a potential strong style fight of the year contender. Uh, so great. You know, big blows, headbutts, forearms, suplexes, reversals, fighting Bro, spirit. It's just so crazy because, like, I know that we, like, are made to eat our words all the time when it comes to Tanahashi, but it's like he really does come out here sometimes and he looks bad. Like, and not in big matches, mind you, except for, like, there was that one Kenta match last year where I was like, <sighs> but there are times where he comes out he's just looking banged up. For re- and I don't think it's a work. Like, he looks banged up. There's times where his, uh, you know, uh, physique isn't looking like what it was. He's moving very rough. He just, you know, he's a banged up guy. And then out of nowhere, he comes out here with the right guy on the right night, like tonight or that night. and. You know, I'm sure that him and Will Ospreay probably would have been blow away. But I do find it hard in my like mind's eye to imagine that it would have been that much better than Ishii and Tanahashi on this night. You know what I mean? Right. It's almost like a blessing in disguise. Like, this match was so, so, so amazing. <laughs> it, was, it was really amazing, yeah. yeah. And, dude, there's just this, there's this part of me where it's like, you know, I know I want Ishii to win a world title one day, and it's ne- probably never going to happen. But like, I'm starting to get to the point where it's like, I, I might settle for a red belt. If, if you just throw him <laughs> a little red belt, that's fine too. Like something, something. 
Yeah. Um, so this awesome match followed with a great angle. So after the match, Chase Owens comes out of the ring and everybody's kind of huffing and puffing on Twitter, like, oh boy, we're Chase is finally cashing in on his title match. So Chase comes out there, he's cutting a promo, he's like, you know, I beat you in the G one last year, you were the US champ, I never got my title match. Then he goes, But now I'm a tag team champion. So I don't care about that red belt. And then Tanahashi's attacked by No, no, no. He goes, but that guy does. Yeah. And then there's like a masked man standing behind him um, with like a ski mask. You know who I thought it was uh, immediately? Who? Without, I thought it was Brody King because he came out with a ski mask. Mm. But I did like that didn't make sense to me. But right. like, I just see the ski mask and I'm like, is that fucking Brody King? Like, who is that? For a second, I thought it might have been Cody Hall, just because, you know, with Scott Hall passing away, they're trying to revitalize Bullet Club. Maybe nah, they would... nah, bro, they're never bringing Cody Hall. <laughs> I thought, you know, maybe it might be him, but then I was like, who is this? Like, who is this new Bullet Club member? And then he, he grabs Tanahashi, and he hits the Pulp Friction. I'm like, what? He pulls the ski mask off, and it is Juice Robinson. Juice Robinson worked the world. He worked Brian Alvarez. He worked Mike Sempervivi. He worked me. He worked everybody who's a fan of New Japan Pro Wrestling. This man came on Wrestling Observer Live. <laughs> Not me. I, I knew it was I knew this was happening the whole time. Sure, sure you did. This, this man came on Observer go back, Live. Go back, go back to the archive. I was sitting there saying this just doesn't work. <laughs> this man, this man said how he, he was done. This man talking about he's going to be a house husband to Tony Storm. He he said, want- I don't even wrestle anybody anymore. <laughs> he's like, I don't, I don't have no dream matches. I don't feel like wrestling. Like, my my contract up. This man did bows in Chicago when he see Roddy <laughs> bowed out, was waving by the crowd. We all, thought this man was he kissed, done. He kissed, he kissed his hands <laughs> to the crowd. <laughs> this man had an emotional goodbye. Bro, how fucking long was that match, by the way? Like, oh, bro, I did not, like, it was it's forever. That match was long as fuck. That was forever. forever. Like, this, that was part of the work. This man <laughs> went out there and had a long-ass fucking match as his goodbye, quote-unquote. A week later, here I am, bitches. <laughs> yeah, dude, this big, huge surprise. Everybody was shocked, stunned. Uh, Juice Robinson, he, he lays out Tanahashi, he's now part of the Bull Club he, he lifts up the red belt, he's two sweeting Chase Owens and we have uh, a new member here, we got tons of questions here I'm going to these real quick, uh, so our friend Sir Sam over at the AW Match Guide podcast says how many more resets does Juice Robinson have in him? I love the bloke, I think he's charismatic and hardworking, but I wonder if this is a last roll of the dice for him being a big deal in NJPW well, Sir Sam, I know you're listening. Good friend of the show, good friend of ours. Um, I have to disagree with you in a certain sense. Jeremy, how many resets has uh, Juice ever had? Honestly, I don't think he's really had many resets. I mean, I guess you can count, like, the the Mox match where he cut his dreadlocks and he was, quote-unquote, supposed to be more serious. But that lasted one match, and he was right back to being goofy. That was Lamber Moon shit. <laughs> that was some Ember Moon shit. We got a direction for you, and then, and then you know, it, that, you know what that sounds like? It sounds like when Austin was like, "We're gonna have you face Hogan, and we're gonna, we're gonna 
put you in a world title. And none of that shit ever happened. <laughs> yeah, like, he cut his hair. It was serious for one match. But then he was right back to, you know, flamboyant and goofy, you know, wearing the, the pimp Undertaker um, uh, outfit. Like, yeah, he's, yeah, he's pretty much I, been the happy-go-lucky, flamboyant, you know, Bay face teamed up with Finn Juice. I'm teaming with Tanahashi, fighting Huntai, happy-go-lucky, sarcastic Juice. Um, there, there really hasn't. I mean, he's had tons of gear changes, but I don't think he's really had. I think this is his first real reset. This is the first real reset he has ever had in the company, and it is long overdue. And once it happened, now granted. Nobody saw this coming. Not us, not anybody. And if they said they, they saw it, they're fucking lying. But once it happened, I was like, it makes a lot of sense. Makes all the sense in the world. In fact, there was a thread that is out there that uh, you can find it. Jay White shared it. And um, it kind of gives the lore of the history of Jay along with uh, Juice and their history together and their feud and their rivalry and the trajectory of everything that's occurred post-pandemic and it kind of fills in all the blank pieces that people are you know you know there's it's it's the lord i i think it's good you should go watch you know give it a read if you haven't read it yet yeah that was a great uh twitter thread and yeah so much history between uh juice and jay white and great reasons for juice wanting to join bull club he was stale stagnant in hauntai uh not getting very far you know he's like you, you think i want to be the guy that's you know getting beat up forever. I'm teaming with David Finley forever. Like this man has goals and accomplishments he wants to make. Now I've heard some complaints and I've heard some criticisms and maybe we can discuss those along here at these questions, but I think this is a fantastic choice and I, I was shocked by it. And I think, uh, I think this worked on a lot of levels. Yeah. And, and it, this to me, here's one thing I will say, and this is the last thing I say before we move on. As far as the last big roll of the dice, I don't think they've ever really made a big roll of the dice. They put the U.S. title on him, and they never seemed committed after they gave him that big run. After they after the big win over Jay, they never seemed committed to actually go with him as a top guy in that position after that. And uh, that's pretty much it. Like, well, The one thing I will say, he's a dojo guy. And if New Japan has shown anything, it's loyalty to those that are willing to go through their dojo system and become stars. And Juice came in as an outsider from WWE and was still willing to go through the dojo system. Now, he didn't go through it the way that, say, like Prince Devitt went through it, but he went through it nonetheless. And so that's been the one hangup I've ever had about him, like, leaving, quote, unquote, New Japan. I've always felt the door would be open if that whole thing had been real because... He's a dojo guy. So um, the long and short of it is like, this isn't the last roll of the dice. This is just a character change, a smart one, and they're committed to him on some level. Yeah. Uh, MVSPR says, Juice looks like Tampa Bay wrestling legend and WWE mainstay, the disciple. Discuss. <laughs> did you, I, I didn't think of that. Did, did he look like Ed Leslie to you? Uh, a little bit with, you know, the, the jeans and his kind of you know, leather vest gimmick he was wearing. Uh, I, I could see Disciple vibes from, from him. Yeah, I guess I could see that. Uh, Rambo and Slam Picks says, is Juice's debut of Bull Club enough to get him back on track to the momentum he had in 2019? Or does he still need more to regain his focus and trajectory? Um, 
you know, there's a few different ways of looking at it. Um, there are some some hurdles. I think one of the biggest hurdles is the fact that there there's no IC title, and that IC title really held a pretty important role within the company. And now that that's not there, um, it makes it hard for like guys coming up to like have that barrier of entry. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Cause now, now all there is the never in the U S title. He's kind of in that weird, strange limbo where he sort of competed in those divisions, but now those divisions have changed. We've talked about this in the past. Um, also bull club has a lot of success right now, but they're sort of bloated. I will say this, and Jeremy, you you answer this question for me. Tell me how many people exist in the Bullet Club today that you think are better workers in a one-on-one scenario than Juice Robinson? Not many. (laughs) You got Jay White. Name me another one. Uh... Running through the the list of... 20 Bullet Club members. You know why it's taking you so long? Because there's not one. (laughs) Because they don't fucking exist. There is no one else in the Bullet Club that's better than Juice Robinson right now. Not Chase Owens. Not Fale. You know, uh, maybe show if he changes gimmick. But right now, not show. Not evil. You know, Uh, there's probably someone throwing out Kenta. Yeah, it's not 2005 anymore. <clears throat> That's not gonna work. <laughs> the only guy you got is Juice. So, like, the only bear, the only hurdle that's in front of him is the fact that he's behind Jay White. Putting that aside, sky is the limit for Juice Robinson in this role with those colors and that logo and the handcuffs off. Mm-hmm. If he's allowed to be a bad guy and come out and like he's pushed the way he deserves to be pushed. Is allowed to wrestle the way that we know he can wrestle. Who fucking knows? Now I'm not saying it's gonna work out, but bro, considering some of the bangers we've seen him have in the past with guys like Ishii and Kenny Omega and Abushi, and you know, list goes on and on. Why not? Why why couldn't he be a top tier guy? This is the thing we've been waiting for for years. Now's the time. Yeah, I, I think potentially uh, Carl Anderson could potentially maybe get in his way. I'm not saying Carl's better than him. He could. But, but he could. Carl, Carl, obviously, Carl's more established a bull club, and we're already seeing him get a never title match. Um, so that could potentially get in his way. But I do think, yeah, there's a ton of potential here for Juice to kind of rise up and become become that new kind of number two, kind of fill that Tamatonga spot as number two behind Jay White and really, you know, run with the ball and be U.S. champion and be that number two guy in Bullet Club. Very possible. And then who knows what's going to happen when the potential, you know, perceived split occurs. Where does he fall into all that? Who knows? Right. Uh, Typhoon says, Juice Robinson in black and white feels so right. A guy that's fed up with being overlooked and ready to take his future into his own hands. Do you think Juice will do anything great with this makeover? I think we just... You know, that's one thing. I saw people criticize the way he looked. They thought that the look itself was kind of lame. And, you know, I didn't feel that way, but I didn't look too much into it. Uh, But, you know, a lot of times when guys first really make a huge change like this, they play around with it until something fits. We've seen this multiple times. So, you know, I'm not sitting here saying that what we're seeing just from that initial uh, interaction is the final form of Mm -hmm. heel 
Juice Robinson. I think that that remains to be seen. Yeah, I mean, and you won't talk about parents. I mean, look at all the stuff that Juice has worn mm-hmm. <laughs> over the years, and some of it not good. Um, so I think his look for this night was perfect for you know fitting that Bullet Club aesthetic and being a surprise guy. Like you mentioned, we even saw Evil. Um, you know, he tweaked his look in joining Bullet Club and turning heel. So I'm sure we will continue to see Juice kind of evolve, but it's not even his wrestling gear. This was a, you know, street fight, you know, angle gear, and I thought it was great for the angle. I agree. Um, next question here from Joey at Osmo Joe from the uh, Wild Sing uh, John Moxley podcast. As Juice Robinson has joined BC, how do you see his past progress turning, his past, his past progress following his heel turn? Has he got the tools to be a main event player? Well, he does have the tools from an in-ring standpoint. Boom. From a promo standpoint, we already know he's one of the top-tier promos that are out there. He doesn't get his flowers for that. Boom. He's Mm -hmm. right there. From a physicality standpoint, now I'm not talking about his gear, but I'm talking about his height and his physique. He's there. Boom especially the fact that he's a Gaijin and Bullet Club was originally a massive major Gaijin, you know, group. The one thing that actually, I'm sorry, two things for me that have really held him back. Number one, it's the goofy shtick persona and gear. That's, and and hair as well. Those have been the things that have kind of been the the things for me that have held him back. Mm Mm-hmm. If he leans back into that, he could saddle himself as BC upper mid-card pin eater. That is possible. I would caution him against doing that. He needs to become a badass. You know what I mean? Yeah. He needs to evolve the same way, like, you know, when Kenny Omega evolved from the cleaner to the best bout machine, you know? There was a difference there. Um, The other thing, too, is just New Japan's perception of him. For whatever reason, they felt comfortable booking him in that role for that long without really it you know putting the ball in his hand and that could still be the case here we don't know but in my opinion this is the best chance they've ever had to really go with the guy yeah and we already saw a name change as far as the nickname he's no longer the flamboyant juice robinson he is rock hard juice robinson That's so not a good <laughs> It's not, bro. That's a terrible fucking thing. I hope they need it. That see, that's that's the bullshit I'm talking about. When I'm like, I hope he doesn't lean back into it. That sounds like the rock hard. What the fuck? You mean the rock hard? That's a horrible nickname. I know. I feel like going going away from flamboyant. I don't think he's gonna come out here, you know, with paint splattered village people gear on. Yeah, but he's called the rock hard because he's, he's rock that's hard, bro. No. <laughs> <laughs> that's some bullshit it's just a different you know it's still bullshit you know bullshit by a different name and different color still bullshit like come on uh and viking fans says i actually like juice turning heel and joining bc i felt like he had become stale and finn juice had to rein its course a heel juice could freshen things up a bit kind of like a baby face tama do you guys agree or disagree i think we're pretty much in agreement 100%. yep agree with that uh, so last matchup here, the main event of Wrestling Dontaku 2022, the IWGP World Heavyweight Championship matchup. The champion, Kazuchika Okada, defeats Tetsuya Naito 
34 minutes and 12 seconds. Um, this might be the least amount of dialogue I could possibly put into a truly great match. This was a quintessential Okada um, and Naito match. They did a lot of the same great things that we've seen in the last two matches and then mm-hmm. kind of built on it. It was a great match for this audience on this night in this crowd. And uh, that's about... I mean, if you've seen Okada Naito, this was a really good version. Now, I like, personally, I don't know if you agree, Jeremy, I like the first Okada Naito match from this year, the best of this trilogy. I agree, and I've I've seen several people saying that this is the best match from this year's trilogy, and I don't agree. I agree with you. I think that... The what was that? What was that? Um, the Golden Series, New Year's Golden Series. I this thought is the February match. Yeah, the February yeah. match. I thought that was the best. I, I think I went four and three quarters on that one. Um, it was really good, and I felt like it was good because they kind of broke away from a lot of the uh, trends and styles that they've had in the past, and they kind of did some fresh new things. And uh, you know, even Naito hitting the uh, um, in that match, he hit the fucking. Stardust Press. Stardust Press and Okada kicked out and everything like that. Um, And in this match, it just, uh, you know, I can see why some people might like it more. It's the bigger stage. I felt like they put in the most effort in this one, Um, but it was a longer match. Um, The one, one good thing I will say is they, in between the first and third match, and taking into account all the multi-man matches they had, tag matches, they really tried to work in that story of like, you know, Naito not hitting the Destino and Naito pinning him with the jackknife, and those came into play in this match. There, there were, you know, and everything like that. And but ultimately, man, I don't know. I'm, I think I'm like a little bit over Okada Naito at this point. Mm-hmm. I don't want to take anything away from the match because I'm sure for most people watching it, it was really great. It's probably like four and a half stars, maybe more depending on your your tastes. But uh, this is not me detracting from it because it was great. But for me, it's just too much in a short period of time of this particular match. I I don't have negative things to say about it, but I don't have too many more things to add to it. I felt like they, they went out there, they told their story. And I'm kind of hoping at this point that my prediction about them being in the same block in the G1 is not correct. Yeah, I mean, my thoughts are very similar to yours. I I mean, I thought it was a great main event. I went four and a half stars on this matchup. But like you said, I mean, it was your, it was a great Okada Naito match. If you've seen a great Okada Naito match, you kind of know what to expect. And we had all the great Destino reversals and Rainmaker reversals and Okada or Naito working on Okada's neck and Okada working on Naito's knees and all the great near falls and, and sequences here is definitely, if you haven't seen it, I would definitely say go out of your way to, to watch it. It's a great matchup. Uh, you did a great job there. Literally, Okada working on the knee, Naito working on the neck. That's their match. And then there's a bunch of near falls. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the one thing that was probably a little bit different, I mean, there was a lot more, like, there was a lot of a slapping sequence here. Uh, these guys were doing a little, like, strong solo a slap sequence here. Yeah, they they did the big match New Japan thing where they uh 
they do the thaw final and then and then after all the near falls they fall down and then they sell for a while leading to the true finish that's something that you typically don't see in new japan very often but more so you don't see it except for like in your like wrestle kingdom style matches so it was very clear that they were attempting to like do the pen you know like the penultimate like holy fuck like they're they're going all out here and i thought it was effective um i also liked when um i liked that uh okada did a enoki um enziguri at the tail end of the match which was cool <laughs> yeah um but, it, was, uh, it was one great spot where you know okada he's been using the landslide tombstone mm-hmm. to you know finish his match instead of that the rainmaker he did hit a, line, a landslide here but he was so exhausted, he kind of failed to follow up. And so that right. was a great kind of, uh, you know, moment in the matchup, which then Naito went for um, the Stardust Press after that sequence and uh, missed big time. And then again, leaning to their back and forth sequence. And like you mentioned, towards the end, Okada, he hits that Anoki um, Inziguri. Then he puts on a um, octopus stretch. And he, he turns like the octopus stretch into a emerald flosion which looked really cool, and he used that to set up the Rainmaker 1-2-3. Okada retains the title, uh, cuts his post-match promo, uh, you know, sends the fans home happy. Then Switchblade, Jay White's music hits. Jay White walked to the ring with Gato. You know, before he can say anything, Okada, you know, knocked the mic from his hand, held the, the title up, and then uh, Gato attacked Okada. White joined in. Um, Okada started to get the upper hand again, but then Jay finally hit him with the Blade Runner. Holds the belt uh, up high. Jay's, you know, hyping up Bull Club. The whole Bull Club that was in Japan comes out except the House of Torture. They were absent here, but everybody else in Bull Club that was in Japan uh, comes out. He's putting over all the members. Our Carl Anderson gets on the mic, and he's putting over everybody singing Happy Birthday to Bull Club and... We uh, end the scene here with Bullet Club standing high. Jay White holding the, the heavyweight title over a fallen Okada. We got uh, Juice Robinson out there as a Bullet Club member now. Two Sweeting. We got the, the tag champs in Bali and Chase Owens. The new junior champ, Taiji Ishimori. Um, you know, big ending here for Bullet Club and things to come. Yeah. Um very very surprising that jay was in japan uh, we've had a lot of questions about when he's going to return well you got your answer so uh hopefully whatever situations he had going on with his visa and his citizenship here and the green card and all that in the states have been worked out that's that hopefully that's good to go um looking forward to that uh match been a long time since we've seen okada and and jay mix it up so you know, that seems somewhat fresh now. One thing I wanted to point out, um, obviously this is Okada's first IWGP world title reign. But technically speaking, I mean, he's had five IWGP heavyweight reigns prior to this. Mm-hmm. And he's been like the main guy in the company for years. And, you know, you kind of go back to like that 2016 to 2018 reign where he broke all the records. Uh over the course of his two title reigns from 2016 to 2020, there were like two stories that were kind of told. The first one, if you notice, when he did 
the really legendary reign. It was a story of him having war after war after war after war after war and facing bigger and bigger challenges and having to, through the course of that time, um, find more offense to put these guys away. You know what I mean? Yeah. And as he was having to dig deeper and spend more of himself eventually, he ran into Kenny Omega and he just didn't have enough to like beat him on that night. And that was kind of, you know, everything he had done up to that point caught up to him. The second title reign, when he beat uh, Juice, or not Juice, he beat Jay in Madison Square Garden and then um, ultimately lost to Kota Bushi in Wrestle Kingdom in January of the next year. Uh, that was a little bit different. He had like seven title defenses during that time. But a lot of the mythos about his match style and his finishing sequences had already been kind of laid out by the pre- uh, preceding title reigns. And so it was kind of more of the same. Like it kind of felt like he was really having to go all out and have these really long epic matches and epic sequences and he was, it was taking Rainmaker after Rainmaker after Rainmaker to like put guys away. You know what I mean? This is different right now. What we're seeing with him at this stage where uh, now this one was a notable exception. It was a little bit longer, but most of these matches he's having are a shorter and then B he's putting them away with one Rainmaker. And I think a lot of that was set up in the prior years by him kind of relying on that money clip that kind of set the stage for the revitalization of the the rainmaker but now he's in this place where it doesn't feel like after he's fighting these guys that he's gone through these wars that are spending him to where it's like oh my god the next guy that beat that wrestles him could beat him he feels for the in my opinion as crazy as it sounds for the first time in his entire run in new japan as like not just the ace, but like the ace where it's like, can anyone fucking beat this guy? Right. He, he feels very dominant. Obviously, his matches aren't, aren't squash matches or anything. They're, they're back and forth matches, but it still feels like he is the one ahead of his opponent. And he's still been very dominant. He's been using pretty much one Rainmaker, you know, mm-hmm. traditional ripcord Rainmaker to beat people. He's introduced that, that landslide tombstone to set things up like. It does seem like he's kind of figured out where to place the money clip, and it just feels like he's like it's crazy to say even more complete than he was previously. Because if you notice in these matches, these guys are not getting that close to beating him. They're not. I mean, also there's some great near falls, there's great counters, but he's never really that much in danger. No. Um, And I think that that's kind of like the defining quality of this title reign is that like, I know in the past there's always been like LOL Okada wins and there's some truth to that, but it always felt like Okada was this virtuoso who was competing on a similar level to his peers, but just happened to be that much better. But he literally feels like his game is so elevated. It feels like a Michael Jordan you know, sort of like Tom Brady, you know, Muhammad Ali, Floyd Mayweather sort of thing where it's like, holy fuck, like in kayfabe, he's way above 
everybody that he is wrestling in this company right now. And uh, obviously there's going to be someone that's beat that, that can beat him, but it feels like there's no one that can actually beat him in the company based on what we know of the company right now. Right. And I just want to point that out. Like that seems to be the story. And I know we kind of predicted that, but like seeing the way they're laying the matches out, it's like, he's kind of running through everybody. Uh, and they're still having great matches, but like, He's fucking everybody up. <laughs> yeah, great ob- observation there. And we have several questions about uh, this ending show angle here. Um, I'm going to try and combine some of them because some of them are similar. Uh, so Rambo and Slam Pig said, when Bullet Club celebrate in the ring at the end of Dontaku, House of Torture members were noticeably absent. Is Bullet Club fine? Bravo Tango Zulu said, do we need to read anything into the fact that none of House of Torture or with the rest of Bullet Club at the end of Dontaku? Viking Pain says, shows graphics displayed he has a torture logo instead of the Bull Club one during the best Super Junior intros. Now with the company being able to bring back foreigners, do you think this is, is the beginning of House of Torture being split up from Bullet Club? Yeah, possibly. Maybe not. Like we, like I said earlier in the show, this company tends to uh, give you little breadcrumbs for you to follow the trail. And I feel like they've been doing that for a couple of years now when it comes to this whole thing. So, yeah, maybe they're getting ready to pull the trigger. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, the the rumored report was it was supposed to be Jay White versus Evil at Wrestle Kingdom for the Never title, and the split was supposed to happen then. But obviously, Jay wasn't able to get into the country. They had to go with Ishii versus Evil, and that delayed the plans of Bullet Club splitting up. So now that foreigners are able to get back in, now that Jay's able to get back into Japan, um, I do think that we are going to see the House of Torture uh, split off, you know, Evil lost his match, Yujiro um, lost his match, everybody else in Bullet Club won, and they weren't out there, so I think it's coming. Uh, next question here, uh, Viking Pain says, even with clap crowds, do you think this is the hottest NJPW has felt in a long time? Um, I mean, from like, from a, a product standpoint, like watching it, Yes, because they're bringing in outsiders. They're having great matches. The audience feels, you know, uh, excited. The, uh, you know, actual atmosphere with the stage, everything is cool. And then they're they're doing exciting angles and stuff. So, but I mean, this isn't just one show in a nutshell. I mean, uh, Hyper Battle kind of felt that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, some of the tail end stuff of the um, New Japan Cup, even though it didn't get the, the kind of praise and coverage it should have over here. I mean, some of that stuff during the New Japan Cup this year was blow away. Uh, the, you know, the early, the big show, every every big show from January to February, March, April, and then now May has really delivered uh, in that respect. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's been yeah a great year for New Japan. There's been a lot of, you know, after this show, a ton of buzz, uh, a lot of fan interest. So it definitely seems like, yeah, things are heating up again. Um, question here from Howard Schilling with Switchblade reasserting reasserting his power, goal finally finding its way back into the group, and Juice Robinson joining the fold is Bull Club experiencing a small re- renaissance. And Down Home One One was a similar question. He says, uh, with the recent angles that took place at Rasengan is it safe to say that Bull Club could possibly be back? Yeah, I mean that's exactly what this was. I mean this was them. Um, revitalizing the Bullet Club, which it makes sense considering the crossover with uh, AEW and Impact and how important that Bullet Club brand has been in the past in the West. 
and strengthening it and revitalizing it is important. Plus, we talked, you know, last month about how, you know, the one guy that hasn't really fought Okada in a while and is poised for big things when, upon his return is Jay White. Mm-hmm. Uh, I will say this, Jay, Jay's probably the one guy that if I were to say, other than like maybe Kota Ibushi, and I'm not saying that's happening, but like if you were to tell me that who's the one roster member that put uh, against Okada prior to G1 could dethrone him, it would probably be Jay White. I'm not saying it's going to happen, but like he's probably the most likely candidate at this time, especially thinking about history and thinking about the role that a strengthened heel bullet club with a lot of outside interference and shenanigans has played in, you know, ending the reigns of guys like Okada and Tanahashi. There's a lot of precedence there. Yeah. And, um, you know, if Jay White, I mean, there's a history there of Jay being, you know, having Okada's number, that, that quick win at Wrestle Kingdom. And it just seems like Jay's always kind of had Okada's number in some way. So, yeah. I mean, where did Jay White start? Right. Chaos. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it all, it all goes back to, to Chaos and Okada. Everything goes back to Chaos. <laughs> uh uh, Oscar Rooney asks, he says, we got plenty of top heel foreigners, but do we need a top babyface foreigner? Probably at some point. Uh, I don't think they have one right now, but yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I mean John, John Moxley's probably the closest thing. Right. And I, I feel like Saber is kind of been leaning in that direction more and more. Also, he's still part of and Silk, more of a, a heel faction, but I feel like he's been cutting those. You know Japanese language promos. He's been having these really great matches. I, I feel like if they really truly want to, they, they could they could go with Saber in that position. Um, Don Huey one one asks, where does Kenta fit into this whole bull club situation? Does he stay loyal to Tama or does he go with Jay? Well, at this point, regardless about how Kenta fits into the equation, the whole thing with like Tama Tonga to me is a done deal. He's out of the group. He's fully Hontai. And unless like, uh, you know, unless we're talking about um, Kenta com- do- completely doing a 180, like he got his ass beat so bad by Tanahashi. <laughs> and he's like, fuck, I, I got to follow you. Like, you know, right. Then it's, it's a moot point, but I do think it's an interesting, and I, I don't know what's going to happen, but I mean, to me, and other people might disagree, it was feeling like where, what was his role in the Bullet Club altogether back in January. I mean, seeing him do some of the crossover stuff with Noah and on like the, uh, you know, I think he was uh, poised to wrestle with the Noah side during the crossover show, if I recall correctly, yeah, right? Yeah. Some of that was like a little suspect to me too, where I was like, why isn't he wrestling with Maybe that was just a special one-off for the show, but I'm like, for a little while, it's kind of felt like he didn't have a, a great fit in the group anyways. So maybe he comes in, maybe he is still part of Bull Club, maybe he's not, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of a, a wait-and-see thing. I mean, I could easily see him just kind of falling in line and just being part of Bullet Club and no major you know, story changes there. Um, also asked, after his second unsuccessful attempt at winning the IWGP Heavyweight Championship, what does the future hold for the ungovernable one to see Naito? Is a G1 win in the future for Naito? Well, uh, we'll talk about it. I mean, he is uh, 
due for surgery um, coming off this match. And I know you've got the the report on that. As far as a G1 win, I don't know. It's always possible. I think I've projected that in the past, but I'm feeling less and less likely. It's To me, it's feeling less and less likely that that's the case. Yeah. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens here. We'll talk about his, uh, his uh, surgery here in a second. But last question here from Scarlet Witch Fanboy. Because I've only watched uh, since three months. I heard that NJPW 2010s were pretty good. And since the pandemic, NJPW has been on a downward trend. Now that Dantaku happened, is it getting better again or is it still bad? Uh, I, I think that things are moving in a positive direction across the board, which is a good thing. So, yes. Yeah, things are definitely uh, getting better in for New Japan of America and for you know New Japan proper in Japan. Also, there's still some hindrances on both sides, but things are getting better, and we are definitely moving in a better direction. Also, just watch Ishii and Tanahashi and tell me that this company is in the shitter. <laughs> right. You know, and even though the pandemic was a down period, there were still some great matches um, and stuff that was happening during the pandemic. So. I mean, that's like underselling it. I mean, if we're honest... No, no other company was putting on as during the whole course of the pandemic. No other company put on as many great classic matches as New Japan. Period. Best in ring product. Yeah. Uh, so real quick here, we have a update uh, about Tetsuya Naito. So Tokyo Sports reported that Naito will be having uh, surgery on his right eye to repair some superior oblique muscle paralysis, which has been causing him to have double vision. So yeah, he wrestled this match with Okada with double vision. Naito went under a similar surgery in 2019 and was out of action for 20 days following the operations. The Tokyo Sports article quotes Naito as saying that his eye is in worse shape now than when he first underwent surgery for the eye muscle paralysis three years ago, but that the upcoming Best Super Juniors tournament provided a break in his schedule to allow the surgery. We had a question here from Mike Payne. How long do you think Naito will be out for his eye bone surgery? Do you think he'll miss the G1? And that's not a that's not something I can answer i have no idea yeah i mean if it's going to be the same recovery time as the first surgery then you know you're looking at 20 days you're looking at him potentially being back in time for dominion back in time for forbidden door but also we don't we know some of the comments in tokyo sports can be a little bit worked so naito saying it's worse than last time if it truly is worse maybe it'll require a longer recovery no idea um, so moving on to the next thing here, we had uh, four title matches announced for Dominion June 12th in Osaka. Joe Hall uh, coming off of this big wrestling Dantaku show. So Kazuchika Okada will defend the IWGP World Heavyweight Championship against Switchblade Jay White. The Never Openweight Championship will be on the line when Tamatonga defends against Machine Gun Carl Anderson. Balak Fale and Chase Owens will defend freshly won IWGP Tag Team Championships against United Empire's Jeff Cobb and Great Okan. And Shingo Takagi will put up the provisional KLPW 2022 trophy against Taichi. Um, and we had several questions here about these matchups. So on Okada and Jay White, Typhoon asks, is Okada actually going to drop the belt to White or is this just another way to make Okada look better than everyone else? <laughs> people don't like okada sounds like sometimes <laughs> like there's a lot of like weird shade thrown at him it's i don't know it, it's almost like he's not literally one of the absolute all-time greatest you know literally one of the top 
five or ten best wrestlers that has ever lived in the history of humanity. I don't know. Yeah. And kind of a similar question, Les Commission 7252 says, is it smart for New Japan to have Jay White beat Kazuchika Okada at Dominion for the IWGP World Championship and then at Forbidden Door challenges or defend the belt against CM Punk, whether Punk does or doesn't win the AW Championship at Double or Nothing? Fought Okada as champion, he'll be most likely be in the main event either against Danielson or Punk regardless. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. There's a lot of different scenarios kind of position there. I mean, I feel like the uh, rumored match was supposed to be Punk and Okada, and so I sort of assume that's what's happening at that show, but who knows? Maybe if they did have Jay White win, it might make sense to do Jay White versus CM Punk. I don't know. But um, yeah, I think if there was, like I said earlier in the show, if there's one guy that it would make sense to win the title from Okada prior to the G1 to set up future stories and, and what have you, Jay White probably is that guy. Um, I don't know that that's the way I would do it, but he's the biggest threat by far since uh, Okada won this title. Yeah. Um, I mean, again, I feel like a title change, I feel like kind of a cool thing with Okada's title matches this year, even though we've, we've kind of been predicting that Okada is going to like have a long reign, a lot of his matches have been where either guy could win. I mean, Sabre could win, Naito could win. Again, here, I think Jay White could easily Win and then yeah, that, that frees up Okada to have a non-title dream match at Forbidden Door. Uh, but again, I could easily see Okada winning and defending that title at Forbidden Door. I mean, we've been saying for a while now that Okada's probably going to go in Wrestle Kingdom as champion. Um, I still kind of feel that way. Yeah, uh, me too. Um, I I definitely disagree with that idea that they're just having him look better than everyone else just for the the sake of. For right. what? Do you know what I mean? It's, it's all about business. We've said it over and over again. When uh, New Japan was most profitable, Kazuchika Okada was on top. They're trying to, you know, recoup from the pandemic. So who do you put the belt on? I don't know. The guy that made us the most money, Kazuchika Okada. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, uh, question about Carl Anderson. Hawaiian Punch TV says, if Carl Anderson wasn't so loyal to Gallows, who would be a guy on the roster that you would like to see the tag team specialist partner up with? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I really, I don't really have anybody in mind. I think I'd rather probably just see him as singles. That's uh, probably my answer. I mean, there's, it, it, it's not like, oh man, I'm just, uh, you know, really hoping that Carl Anderson and, uh, you know, Juice Robinson are going to tag. Like, I don't give a fuck. Like, <laughs> I, uh, I've seen enough Carl Anderson tag team matches to like hold me over forever. A couple questions on KOPW. Uh, Typhoon says, what did you guys think about a KOPW match with a 30-minute time limit, and once a pin or submission is recorded, a clock starts for the victor. The clock continues to run until the opponent scores the fall himself, then his clock starts running. At the end of 30 minutes, whoever has the most accumulated time as king of the mountain wins the match. No ring allowed. Penalties are assessed in the form of clock stoppage or time reduction for throwing an opponent out of the ring or leaving the ring on your own. This is my own specialty match I made many years ago. Don't be too harsh. <laughs> um, there's no reason for me to be harsh because this, granted, I will tell you this, my first knee-jerk reaction is like, that sounds a little convoluted. But in the light of what we've seen from KOPW from the past two years, why the fuck not? <laughs> right. Like, why not? This doesn't sound that far off from what they've been doing. So, sure. 
Yeah. And it, it's plausible. This is something I one mil like uh, a <laughs> trillion percent see them being possibly like able to do because it's it's another just straight singles match variation with just some like uh you know nuanced rules thrown into it. You yeah. know, it's they're they're never gonna do a, a cage match. Right. <laughs> Uh, Viking Finn says, I actually really like Tai Chi and Chingo's KOPW match. If this is the direction they're moving, KOPW in, then I'm all for it. But I still feel the trophy's a bit too goofy to take seriously. Do you think getting rid of the trophy for maybe a title belt would change up the perception and tone of KOPW? Or are you guys okay with the trophy? Listen, I think that the whole idea that you are not the real champion, that you're just the provisional champion until the end of the year on the last day, when literally... You were only awarded for that the end of that show and then starting on the next show, you're no longer champion is the most convoluted shit in the world. <laughs> and for a gimmick that is so convoluted, that has matches that are so convoluted, why not just give him a dinky trophy? Like this doesn't deserve a title. This does not deserve an actual title belt. I'm fine with the trophy. Have at it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it doesn't bother me. I think the trophy works perfectly for this uh, gimmick. And, yeah, I think adding a championship belt wouldn't really help. Because, again, like you said, the whole provisional thing and it changing every year, it, yeah, it's kind of kind of whack. Uh, Dan Coffin says, what stipulation would you like to see for the KOBW match at Dominion? You know, I, I wish I could throw out a really cool, like, uh, gimmick match that they've never done that I'd like to see. But the reality is, for me, I'm kind of a stickler for them to sticking to whatever story they're telling. And they're clearly telling some sort of story revolving, you know, pinfalls that last for a longer period or shorter period or multiple pinfalls. So I'm fine with it. Just do another fucking pinfall match and like, see if I fucking care or whatever. Yeah. I mean, they might might as well just do a straight up six count pinfall match. Or like a ten count pinfall match, period. You know what I mean? Something like that. I don't know. Right. They, they could do that um, again. Like I said earlier in the show, I, I think an Iron Man would be cool. But again, um, it seems like they're going for the more a little bit wackier than your traditional match type. So yeah, a six count match or whatever will probably be the case here. Um, and then last question here from Les Commission seven two five two. What surprises or returns are y'all expecting at Dominion? I mean, I don't know. The only one I could throw out there just because. You know, if, if there were two people that are out there that just exist that could show up at any given time that I'd be all for Kushida or Cesaro in some way. Yeah, I mean, with Dominion being right before Forbidden Door, I wouldn't be surprised if we saw some AEW guys showing up Ooh, to do, call. do some angles to, to build Forbidden Door. Nice. All right, so I'm going to try and run through uh, some of this uh, stuff here pretty quickly. So we, have- we can run through it super quick. Yeah, we have the conclusion of the Strong Style Evolve Tour that took place here in St. Pete, Florida. Uh, this past Saturday, show opened up with DKC defeating Kevin Knight in a, a good young line opener. We had the Cruiserweight Classic rematch with Mascara Dorada defeating TJP. Uh, 10 minutes and 50 seconds uh, post-match, TJP uh, steals Dorada's mask, so it does seem like we get some kind of feud there. And then in the main event, Jay Lethal defeated Ren Narita with uh, Tiger uh, Tori was on commentary. 
12 minutes and 17 seconds. Uh, really good uh, main event here for Lethal and Narita. Narita got his nose busted open in the match. Uh, so we got some color here. So really fun match, and you guys should definitely check out Strong if you haven't already. Uh, then uh, this coming up Saturday, we're going to have a double header for New Japan Strong. So they're going to be airing uh, a episode from the Lone Star Shootout and the first uh, show from the Mutiny Tour. So from the uh, Lone Star Shootout, we'll get uh, Hikaleo and Chris Bay versus Bateman and Barrett Brown, Jonah versus Blake Christian, uh, Fred Rosser, Alex Coughlin, and the DKC versus Tom Lawler, Jared Kratos, and Royce Isaacs. And then from the Mutiny Tour, it'll be Rocky Romero, Adrian Quest, and Alex Coughlin. First, J.R. Kratos, Black Tiger, and Dane Limelight. There will be a handicap match. Uh, Fred Rosser will take on the West Coast Wrecking Crew. And then uh, Switchblade, Jay White, will be taking on Hikaleo. So then moving on to the news, uh, New Japan President Takami Obari expressed interest in potentially bringing a Forbidden Door follow-up event to Japan. When he spoke to Sports Illustrated, Obari stated that the, a show featuring AEW and New Japan wrestlers hosted in Japan could be the next step following the June 26th pay-per-view from Chicago. He says if Japanese fans are invested in this event and the demand is there, then there will absolutely be the impetus, impetus for us to take the next step of holding an event in Japan. He said, NJPW and AEW will open the Forbidden Door together this June, but what lies on the other side is something we all have to wait to find out. Obara continued, One guarantee, I'll always say that NJPW's wrestlers carry the pride in the fight of Wild Lions, Whoever they fight against, whoever they even team with, they will carry a fighting spirit that is unmatched and unbeatable. We had a question from Wiz Factor. Are you planning on doing a Kiss Cross ATE Super Podcast with Floyd and Austin for the Forbidden Door pay-per-view? And yeah, I think we are going to be doing uh, either a prediction or review, some kind of cross uh, show with our friends here, all things elite here on the network. Yeah, we were asked, but... uh... I wasn't sure when that was happening. We should probably talk to Floyd. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, some updates to the Capital Collision cards. Obviously, Eddie Kingston versus Tomohiro Ishii was made official last week. This week, Brody King versus Mo Suzuki was made official. Kazuchika Okada and Trent Beretta versus Jay White and Hikaleo made official this week. Then uh, also today, Will Ospreay uh, put out a video um, and issued a challenge for the U.S. title, a fatal four-way between himself Hiroshi Tanahashi, the champion, John Moxley, and Juice Robinson. Um, as of this recording, that match has not been made official yet. As uh, of this recording, this uh, match is official. Look actually, at that graphic. Actually, in a couple of minutes, I think, as Josh just pulls it up. So, yes, it's now official four-way for the U.S. title. Will Ospreay, Tanahashi, John Moxley, Juice Robinson, Capital Collision, Washington, D.C., be there. That's a crazy-ass match. It is. And uh, Typhoon says, will you guys be at Capital Collision? Love the podcast and would love to meet you guys. No, we will not be there to, I mean, to the best of my knowledge, I'm not going. Yeah, unfortunately, I'm not going to be able to make it, you know, uh, with wedding around the corner and some house renovations. Uh, I will not be able to, to head to Capital Collision. Hopefully in the future, Typhoon, we'll be able to meet you at a New Japan show down the road. Uh, we, we got Yuya Mora. On AW Dark this week, taking on Angelico. So that's pretty cool. And then my man, Satoshi Kojima, made some waves this past weekend, uh, pairing it at Noah. He was at the Noah Majestic show and was the mystery partner for 
Marafuji and then went on to appear and challenge the new GHC champion Go Shiozaki. And they will be wrestling at the Cyber Fight Festival show in June. My man Kojima has one more shot at becoming a world champion. Uh, and question here from Ghost of Doc Gonzo. So while I was watching the Noah Majestic show on Saturday, the appearance of Satoshi Kojima as Marafuji's mystery tag partner got me thinking about the working relationship between New Japan and Noah. Question I have for you guys is would you rather A, New Japan and Noah have a healthy working relationship, or B, New Japan steal Shiozaki, Kiyomiya, and Nakajima from Noah and burn that bridge forever. <laughs> I would rather they bring in the talent. <laughs> I would too. Um, you know, a guy as talented as Nakajima, um, these legends don't want to put him over. He's having a hard time finding people that you know want to do the favors for him. I say, yeah, let's freshen up New Japan. Let's get some you know great you know first time matchups in G ones and New Japan Cups. Yeah, bring bring him over. Who's that Haas dude? Inamura? Uh, Inamura, yeah. Bring his ass, too. Yes, bring, bring them all. all. All the young, great workers that are getting buried, send them to New Japan. We'll, we'll send them the olds, because that's what they like. Um, question here, Hawaiian Punch VV says, On a scale of 1 to 10, how likely is Kojima taking the GHA's heavyweight title off of Go? Nosawa is a big Muto fanboy, so he would have been in, he would have been enjoying 2000's All Japan at the time. Plus, olds on top. Yes, old's on top. You know, I don't think it's that likely, but then I also remember, like, Suzuki was champion in this company. Nagata was champion in this company. Liger was champion in this company. There seems to be, like, a trend of the old dads from New Japan coming over to, to Noah and just fucking running the GHC. So, uh, <laughs> I mean, you know. I mean, I'm here for it. It seems like Noah is really trying to capture my attention, that they're bringing in Kojima, giving him a world title match, and bringing in one of my favorites from 2000s, Rob Van Dam. It's going to be the Cyber Festival. Like, Noah's really trying to get my I attention. I made a joke in. to uh, Rich. I was like, yeah, so since we can't get any uh, stars of the past who used to be in New Japan to, you know, hold our titles, let's go get a star from the past who <laughs> currently works in New Japan and give him one of our titles. <laughs> that might work better. <laughs> oh, man. So uh, I think we're going to punt some of these off-topic questions here for next week. Let's uh, finish up here with recommended uh, match of the week. So I uh, kind of took last week off, so now we're, we're back on it here. So from two weeks ago, uh, for the recommended match of the week, I had picked uh, Russell Dontaku 2015, um, Okada, de- or excuse me, Omega defending the title against Alex Shelley. And then for the excursion match of the week, you had picked uh, Buddy Matthews versus TJP from MLW. So, Josh, what were your your thoughts real quick on Shelly and Omega? I thought Shelly and Omega was uh, an interesting kind of like snapshot in time of where these two guys were at that point. You know, Um, Kenny Omega is so deeply entrenched in that cleaner junior character and kind of on that run where... You know, uh, they show in the VTR how, like, he'd beaten Taguchi. He's like, I've cleaned up some Japanese trash. He, like, (laughs) beat Dorada. And he's like, and I cleaned up some Mexican trash. It's time for me to clean up this trash, too. Some American trash. Some American trash. (laughs) And uh, I thought that was funny. But then that kind of came into play where Kenny is introducing the trash can. And they do some, like, cool, inventive uh, offense based around the trash can. And obviously, like, Alex Shelley, he's part of the time splitters. He's got Kushida out there to watch his back in like fashion. 
Omega's got the Bucks. And, you know, this is a, a phase where, like, I really have always, more so than um, any other phase of their career, I've always been a big fan of the phase of Kenny's career when he was a heel and the Bucks were heels and they were doing goofy shit together in the ring. Like, <laughs> yeah. I just always loved that. I know it's not as good as like when they got serious and they just became his like second and mm-hmm. they didn't do anything bad. I liked when they did the cold spray and I liked when they interfered. I don't know. Like, you know, um, I don't know. I, I guess I'm a ghoul, whatever. <laughs> but um, th- this match, obviously, I think it was brought down a little bit by having a lot of that shenanigans at the same time. Look at the guys that are doing the shenanigans, and it's pretty good. Um, I don't think that this match was a classic by any means, but um, I can kind of overlook some of that and still find a lot of value in what they were doing here. Plus, there was a lot of uh, Mirafuji homage spots between both Kenny and Alex Shelley, who like Mirafuji is like both one of their favorite like wrestlers, someone that they're both heavily influenced by. So you can see a lot of mirafuji spots worked into this match uh which was very apparent um but ultimately at the end kenny pretty much wins clean um you know i probably go three and three quarters here i think that this is kind of like a novelty i wouldn't call this like a great classic match but especially if you're a fan of kenny omega and alex shelley it's worth checking out but uh it, it didn't like blow me away or anything but again that's most of kenny's uh junior run anyways yeah at least in New Japan. And uh, I watched uh, Buddy Matthews and TJP from MLW, and this was uh, Buddy Matthews' like debut in MLW, and TJP was kind of coming out, ragging on the audience, and talking about this whole, you know, for open-door policy MLW has, and he's going to beat everybody that's going to walk through the door. And, of course, Buddy Matthews comes out, big pop, and, uh, you know, it's essentially a match to prove who is the better cruiserweight. Both of these guys have a history of 205 Live and being cruiserweight champions. And I was kind of surprised here. Um, you know, early on in the match, um, Buddy Matthews gets a, a knee injury, and TJP works over that injury pretty much the majority of the match. And TJP is pretty dominant in this match, pretty much in control. Uh, Buddy Matthews does get some, like, hope spots and, you know, make some comeback, but kept getting cut off by TJP and eventually uh, TJP taps him out in the middle of the ring um, beats uh, Buddy Matthews. And I'm pretty sure this match was taped before he signed with AEW. Uh, TJP's out here. He's wearing United Empire gear. So I thought it was very interesting. You, you would think a guy like Buddy Matthews coming off the WWE run and hot free agent that potentially he would get a win here, do like more high flying and really show himself off more. Uh, this match was really more about building up TJP. I'm, I'm not sure what TJP's deal is with MLW. He's been also making several appearances there while doing New Japan Strong and has been one of the featured guys on that program. But they really, like, built him up as, like, a, a top heel in their middleweight division and, you know, beating, you know, this, you know, hot, fresh talent in uh, Buddy Matthews. Um, so I thought it was a pretty fun matchup. I'm, I'm about, like, three and a half on it, and... Again, you know, TJP, you might hate him personally, but he's a very good professional wrestler, and there was a lot of great in-and-out uh, submissions and sequences here. And, yeah, this was a really fun matchup. Yeah, I agree. I was somewhat disappointed by the match once I finally, like, checked it out. Uh, but, you know, that's pretty much the MO when it goes when it comes to uh, MLW. MLW. And, and, and also, that's why I wasn't 
probably let down because I've already been burnt by MLW so many times. I'm like, it's MLW. I'm not shooting for the stars here. And so, like, I thought it was actually pretty good compared to a lot of these, like, MLW dream matches that they throw out there and that kind of, uh, you know, it's not a, it's a hit and a miss. So what would you give this one? Would you give it a recommend or what, how would you classify it? I, I think it's a, a fun match to check out. I, I wouldn't say, you know, stop what you're doing and, and watch it right away. But if you're, you know, chill on a Saturday, you're like, man, I just want to, you know, watch some wrestling. Nothing's nothing lives on. Go ahead. Jump on the MLW YouTube channel. It's free. Not a long match. Throw it on. Fun to watch. Okay. But probably not something that's making our uh, recommended list this year. Yeah. This, this is, it, it's not going to be an excursion match of the year contender. So, okay. uh, for this week, uh, Josh, it's your turn to pick a recommended match, and then it's my turn to pick an excursion match. So what you got for recommended? Awesome. So for this week, the recommended match of the week is from June 11th, 1996. New Japan's Best of the Super Juniors 3. And it is a match between Black Tiger and Wild Pegasus. Nice. That should be a fun one. Yes, it is, uh, I believe, the highest-rated cage match match of both of these guys' careers, uh, just sitting over 9 at 9.02. Uh, it is not available on New Japan World, but you can find it on the sketchy uh, Chinese streaming service, Billy Billy. <laughs> uh, and then for me, my pick for excursion match of the week is going to be Will Ospreay defending his Warrior Wrestling Championship against Blake Christian uh, from the most recent Warrior Wrestling show. I'll say again, this match is not on New Japan World, at least not yet. Um, but, you know, there are ways to find it. If you want to DM me, I can help you find it. Uh, but I've been hearing incredible things about this matchup. I've seen a ton of four and a half, four and three quarters. So um, I think this is a match that's easily going to moonwalk its way as an excursion match of the year contender. Yeah, I've heard really great things about it. In fact, there's been a few matches that have occurred in the past couple weeks since we last recorded that I have gotten a lot of praise. So we've got a few things to check out here. Definitely. Yeah. Well, that's going to uh, wrap it up for the excursion match of the week. And it's going to wrap it up for the show here. So next week we'll be back to uh, preview the best of a super junior tournament. We'll also preview capital collision, which will be happening uh, next week as well. So if you enjoyed today's show, please consider making a donation by visiting coachesuplex.com slash donate. Click on the donate button under the Keeping It Strong Style logo. Make sure you connect with us on social media, on Twitter. The show is at KI Strong Style. The network is at Social Suplex. You can follow me at Jeremy L. Donovan on Facebook or Facebook.com slash Social Suplex. You can also find us at the Wrestling Squared Circle Facebook group, Facebook.com slash group slash Wrestling Squared Circle on Instagram at Social Suplex. Follow us on Reddit on the Pro Black Guy. Just keeping a strong style. You can email me, Jeremy, at socialsuplex.com. Check out all the other shows here on the Social Suplex Podcast Network. One Nation Radio hosted by Rich Lada and James Floyd. The Grave Consequences hosted by Kayla and Maserati. All Things Elite hosted by Floyd and Austin. The AEW Match Guide Podcast hosted by Sir Sam. Great Match Generator hosted by Danny Don't forget to subscribe and leave a rating and review. And we will catch you next week on Keeping a Strong Style, the ace of podcasts.
Ichiban. Thank you for listening to Keeping It Strong Style. We'll see you next time. <laughs>